was an excellent day for an exorcism. You'd like that? On December 26, 1973, The Exorcist, a horror film about a girl possessed by an evil spirit, makes its debut in theaters. It will go on to earn a reputation as one of the scariest movies in history. The Exorcist was based on William Blatty's 1971 novel of the same name, about the last sanctioned Catholic exorcism to take place in the U.S. in the late 1940s. To celebrate the month of Halloween, Hollyweird Paranormal teamed up with LA Not So Confidential for a creepy crossover episode. We talk about ghosts, exorcisms, the story of Roland Doe, the haunted boy, the exorcist's curse, Satan or psychosis, and the trash bag killer. Grab your crucifix, your holy water, and say your Hail Marys, because we cast out the demons here in Hollyweird. On episode 23, The Exorcist and The Exorcist's Curse. Hey, welcome to the first crossover. I've hoped the first of many crossover episodes of LA Not So Confidential and Holly Weird Paranormal. <laughs> we are one. It's so Finally. exciting. It's all come together. Yes. This is Dr. Scott along with This is Dr. Philo. Tammy. Hi, this is Bryce Mitchell Williams. So I, I I can't even imagine that there's anyone out there that is not already familiar with both of our shows. If you're here today, but hello, <laughs> not so confidential. Shiloh and I are forensic psychologists, um, working forty hour a week jobs in the field, mm-hmm. um, various two different aspects of the the industry. Um, we talk about true crime from a psychological perspective, and we also talk about how it's portrayed in media and fiction and um, media adapt- adaptations of real-life crime. And then we met these two amazing youngsters who do... Ooh, youngsters. I like yeah, that. I like that. Wow. Well, I'm an, yeah. I'm an elderly shut-in. So. <laughs> it's on the air now, so it's legal. It's yes, real. It's, it's legally legal. Binding. So I want to constantly like play this over and over Documents. in the morning. <laughs> uh, yes. So we are a... Um, True crime and paranormal podcasts, but we add a little twist. So we talk about Hollywood true crime and its paranormal association or just anything that's Hollywood, anything that's mm-hmm. Hollywood. There's plenty of that. Oh, trust me. <laughs> yeah. So you'll lots to you'll choose. have yeah. seasons for days. Driving here, we got a little confused because Melrose was so empty, and I literally said, "Where are all the crazy people?" Exactly. I, I couldn't. Right. It was so pretty. Was and the yeah. sunshine. And the it's lighting. like the bird scooters. They round them up so they can recharge them. <laughs> <laughs> they get recharged in the early morning hours so they can For come all back the tourists. Out. Yeah. yeah. Good. Good. Keeping the flavor alive. <laughs> it's like Stranger Things when like the little kids like, "What's going on?" It's yeah. like I'm in the upside down world. Yes. Where's everyone? <laughs> Our cross. Episode is mm-hmm. going to focus on the Exorcist. Yeah. We're going to do is, is, is yeah, we're going to really dig into some fascinating areas of this and crossover, um, talking about the background, what the story that was made into a movie, a very successful movie, mm-hmm. um, 
and like you youngsters say all the time, we got the receipts, which I love that saying because <laughs> yeah. you go, you do such wonderful research. We're going to talk a little bit about first. We want to talk about look. We've got varying on a, a varying spectrum here of belief in paranormal activities. Yes. Oh yeah. So Let's we're going to talk a little see bit where about everyone that. Sits on that. Yeah. So I, we thought that this would be a good topic because it has a little bit of what we do in our own podcast. Yeah. So not only is it an hugely successful movie and we have the entertainment piece and the paranormal piece, but there's also a true crime piece that we'll touch on. So this was like perfect ground for us. So, um, okay. So what's your status? My status is highly (laughs) skeptical. Um, I'm going to share an experience with you today, but is an experience. I don't know. Mm, I'm kind of like, eh, maybe, but I love to hear all about it. I'm like, every time you tell on your stories, I'm like, (laughs) just tell me all about it i love scary movies i love to be scared we just went to universal halloween horror nights like all that stuff Mm -hmm. love it you like the chills and the thrills yeah you're an open-minded skeptic (laughs) yes that's the best but i think i am not quote-unquote open Mm -hmm. to some of these experiences yeah so that's where i'm at so i am coming back from a place where i mean i as as a in my youth i was fascinated by all of all of this. Uh, every, anything, everything, a paranormal, all horror movies. I was, cl- you know, classic Hollywood classic horror movies, the black and whites, the hammer horror films as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I come from the South, and the South is really steeped in sort of gothic literature and gothic perspectives on things. And um, so as I've gotten older and, you know, I've become more, interested and delved into scientific method, I'm a lot more skeptical. Mm-hmm. However, I've had a number of experiences that, you know, now looking back over a multi-day, multi-decade perspective, I go, mm, I was really high when that happened. So <laughs> that, uh, one, yes. that one probably, yeah. we'll put that in the, the nay-ish pile, sure. but I've had like, like two or three that are, that still sit with me today mm-hmm. where they're, I don't, I mean, I can honestly say I don't know what it was, but it, 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 something happened. Mm-hmm. Well, we also talked earlier today about the sort of psychological phenomenon of confirmation bias. Yeah. And because you are seeing things happen, you have this sort of preconceived notion of, you know, you're feeding into it or you're, mm-hmm. you, you believe in a certain thing that you're now saying, yes, that's what it is instead of basically the opposite of what I do to rationalize it. You're right. saying, no, this is what it, mm-hmm. right. It and is something and the problem with that is that on the other side is mm-hmm. that if you stay completely in the rational world, mm-hmm. like we would not have science if people stayed right. solely in the rational world, True. we would not have had alchemists in the middle ages doing crazy ass experiments mm-hmm. on themselves that gave us an, that they saw in spiritual terms that then we now understand as mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. underpinnings of science, scientific method. Yeah. But you have to be creative to understand. So if you're, we talk about being open and people being not open. It's mm-hmm. like, well, yeah, you're missing a lot of clues. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe spirit is throwing a bunch of shit at you and you're just yeah. missing it. Mm-hmm. So, so I like to think I'm, I'm the scully to your molder. Yeah. That makes Ooh. sense. Ooh. <laughs> that makes sense. Deep. You look, you look great as a redhead. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what about you guys? I like, I mean, I come from like Dr. Scott's, you know, point of view too, where I growing up and living in New Orleans, I was so enamored and so interested in everything that was mysterious mm-hmm. and all the lures and all the ghost stories. 
And I was very gullible to the point where right now I've learned to be somewhat of a skeptic, but standing from a logical standpoint, Mm -hmm. being, I guess I call it being an extremely, extremely optimistic skeptic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I still believe that there's something out there. I believe that there's an energy and with enough energy around it, it can manifest. Mm -hmm. That's what I believe in. I like to call, I don't don't know. I just feel like I I don't call them ghosts anymore. I just call them energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To me, that's, you know, my, I guess, evolved train of thought. (laughs) Well, that could go in so many different ways. Exactly. And energy manifests. Yeah. Yeah. And we talk about that a lot of Mm -hmm. just like, kind of like what you were saying is like, sometimes the baggage you bring to the event is as powerful or more powerful than like what may or may not be happening outside of you. It's like, yeah, if you're bringing all of this extra like chaos with you, a chaotic energy will meet you and kind of expound on that. I think, Mm -hmm. um, I sort of am a little bit more skeptical. I was raised incredibly religiously. So like there was no, gray area it was either like an angel or a demon and there was no kind of like in between um there's like not to get like super religious but there's like a verse in the bible that says to be absent from the body is to be present from the lord and so we would use that to sort of explain away like you can't see ghosts you can't see spirits because they're either in heaven or they're in hell Mm -hmm. there's like no in between very concrete very like black and white but as i grew up and out of like that sort of mindset um, and then experience things for myself that I couldn't rationalize away with either logic or religion or just like full online to myself. Yeah. Basically sort of similar to what you're saying of just like, well, maybe I can't explain this and I don't know why that is, but I'm just going to like, let that be. And it's fascinating to hear about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I am, I'm I'm the same. It's like, I really love hearing about it. I don't love being scared. So I don't really share that part of it. (laughs) So you're not going to Universal Studios with us next year? I will not be going to Halloween Horror Nights ever. I think there, isn't there like a little light stick that you can buy? That's like the don't scare me stick. Probably. I would buy like a hundred of them. Just hold like a a bushel. Big sign. Yeah. So that's, I like hearing about it in like, the daylight of your beautiful apartment. Like that's like my level. I like hearing other people get scared, Mm -hmm. but not me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. So should we talk about some of the experiences with that? Yes. Yes. Let's share ghost stories because people are definitely going to be here for the booze as well. Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. Can I start? Yeah. 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 Um, so when I was in college, I was not yet with the police department as an officer, but I was a civilian cadet working there and working at Starbucks at the same time. I don't know why, but this sounds sexy. (laughs) Starbucks is sexy every time. Uh Um, And my best friend, she was a dispatcher at the same police department. She was a single mom, and she said, I'm going to start working night shift. I really need you as my babysitter. Will you quit Starbucks? And at night, you can stay at my house and watch my kid while I go dispatch. So it was great. She lived right down the street from me. I would um, pick up her. We were like co-parenting. I would pick up (laughs) her kid from her in the evening and get him fed and get him to bed and sleep at her house while she worked the night shift. So initially, we would, um, I would sleep in her sort of living room in a pull-out bed, sofa bed. And 
she would come in the back door in the morning and kind of walk through the living room where I was sleeping and then go into her room. Then I'd wake up, go home, and that's kind of how the handoff happened. Um, so one night I'm sleeping and early in the morning, cause she got off usually around, you know, four thirty, five thirty in the morning and she lived fairly close. I hear her come in, walk through, go into her room, you know, just like any other night. And then I kind of go back to sleep and then wake up and she couldn't sleep for some reason or no, I'm sorry. I, I wake up a couple hours later hearing her coming back in again. And so I asked her, I got up at that point and I'm like, did you go out again? Like what, what happened? She's like, no, I'm just getting home. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So I was like, all right. So we, we kind of had this conversation later and she's like, oh yeah, my house is totally haunted. She oh. said, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. That's, that like, should have been part of the, like the deal. When you're- <laughs> Tell me your house is haunted before I sign on. But then Thank there would have been the cognitive bias. Right? Like, you you could have been primed to freak the shit out. Right. Could have. You know? Totally. Totally. So she oh. said, yeah, you know, I we were home here one night, and someone was trying to break into her home, like, break into a window. And it was along the side of her house, and what? there's a light that she has out there that you have to flip on. Mm-hmm. And she was in a different room and heard, like, someone trying to jimmy the the (gasps) window open. Oh, my God. And the light turns on by itself and scares the person away. Oh, thank God. It's a good ghost. Okay. So, exactly. (laughs) So, this wasn't motion sensor. This was, like, somewhere you had to go flip it on. And she didn't flip it on. And she lived in the same city where we worked for the police department. So, the cops came out, saw that, yes, there was evidence of someone trying to break in. Like, that wasn't imagined. Um, So, I'm like, oh, Okay. That's so, so crazy. Yeah, late, later on, she eventually, you know, kind of got a guest room together for me. And the one other incident was that um, I woke up in the morning, the the little boy, he had slept in his room all through the night. But I go to get out of the bed and along the side of the bed where I were to get out, all of his little action figures are lined up in this long, like 20 of them in this perfectly straight line. Oh, and he was still in bed, still asleep. No. Right. <laughs> now, they're, now they're playing with toys. <laughs> so that was just, you know, it was one of those things that I'm like, I don't know. I don't mm. think it was Michael. I would never heard him get up. I'm a very light sleeper. Mm. And she was like. Yeah, it's just the ghost messing with you. I love how she's so blase about it. She's like, oh, she's very blase. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I feel like once you have a ghost kind of help protect your house. Yeah. Like, that's a great, you're kind yeah. of on a team at that point. Yeah. Like, right. they're not, like, doing anything hurtful or damaging to you or your family. Right. And they're kind of, like, on your side. Like, oh. Yeah, watching out you. for you. Yeah. Playful. I'm still mortified but that's kind of sweet yeah Yeah. so i think that's my only really firsthand Mm -hmm. experience wow you know mine i had this great old apartment right off hollywood boulevard for many years um back when i was still when i was still performing and it was like i would call it the gypsy house but that'd be cultural (laughs) appropriation but you know it was basically people who were performers Mm -hmm. and I held the lease along with the roommate and Joe would like, Hey, I'm going to go on tour with this show. So-and-so is going to come, you know, it was, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, but it was one of those great sort of, it were six units. We were on the second floor, huge rambling apartment, kind of like this, you know, late Mm thirties, Adobe ish style, style apartment. And I was there for 10 years. Like I, 
Low, actually longer. So through transitioning out of performing, but still working in another aspect of, of entertainment. And it wasn't until being there after a decade that everything started. Like I had a roommate, a friend of mine from Chicago moved and he moved in with me and he, we were having dinner one night. And he goes, um, what's going on in the bathroom? And I'm like, I don't, what are you, what are you talking about? He goes, <laughs> no, like, there's, kind of he goes, there's, there's a, there's a presence in the bathroom. He oh. goes, I, I feel like I'm being watched all the time. And I'm like, okay. Oh, I'm, I'm sure you're like, I had Taco Bell. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a spirit. All right. Um, <laughs> it's a kind of Jesus moment. Is that ectoplasm I smell? Um, oh, God. so I, and I was like, oh, I, you know, I'm always in a rush. And I didn't really notice that. But then I started like thinking, wait, and all these things started falling into place. And I started calling all my old roommates. Did you ever have an experience? I was like, oh yeah, what was up in that fucking bathroom? <gasps> oh my God. You always no. feel like you're being watched. I always felt creeped out when I was in the shower. And then like, I started realizing all these things, like things that would go missing. Like here are your keys no. on the table. You turn around an hour later, they're gone. What the hell? Where are my keys? Where are my keys? Like going crazy. Mm. 15 minutes later, you turn around and they're there. And I used to think it was all dancers. We were all like Mm -hmm. chorus boys. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, you can't fucking trust a dancer with any of your clothes because it's like, oh, I love this (laughs) t-shirt. Can I borrow that? And you never see it. It's gone. Right. It's like, it's in, it's on tour in Europe right now. Your your, your favorite (laughs) t-shirt. Let it go. So I had put it in this context of like, oh, okay. And then. I shifted from working at a big talent agency. I started working in casting and I got promoted pretty quickly to associate casting director. So I got first, I was an assistant and then I got like, boom, I kind of jumped and and was having my own projects. All hell broke loose in the apartment. And I'm, I'm not kidding you at all. Lights turning on and off in the middle of the night, um, air conditioner turning on. And I called my, my landlord and like, Bob, what's going on with the wiring is there's nothing wrong with the wiring. It's completely new. Um, and I said, so by the way, you lived here back in the seventies, you lived in this unit. Is this place haunted? He goes, Oh yeah. Did you know? <laughs> Another one. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? You didn't, oh I've known you for 13 years. You know, but she goes, Oh yeah. It's some woman. She stands in the bathroom. Oh my God. No. Yeah. <laughs> And so, woman, she was like, yeah, honey. Oh. I was going to say, could you imagine being in a bathroom for eternity? Well, then, <laughs> so my, I love chorus boys. <laughs> my, my roommate was dating this, um, was dating this guy and he's, he's coming like into the apartment for dinner. And this guy was got halfway up the stairs and he goes, whoa. Your apartment is haunted as hell. Oh, oh my He'd gosh. never been there before. And he goes, well, how, how do you know? He goes, well, I've come from a clairvoyant family. And he goes, well, we don't know anything about it. Tell us. I mean, all we know is something's going on. Oh, so no. he walks in. He goes, it's a woman. She killed herself in the bathroom. Oh, and he walked, he walked right to the bathroom. And he goes, oh, this is really sad. This is really sad. Oh, no. What does your roommate do? And he goes, oh, Scott's a... Um, He's a casting director. He goes, oh, she, that's it. She was an actress. She never made it. And something shifted in his energy. And now she wants his attention. So I was, then it escalated to like waking up because I would feel a hand on my shoulder. I would hear, I would see in the dead of night, pops of light, like flashbulbs going off. 
and people would come in. Like I had a, I had a friend of mine that hung out and she did not believe she's like, absolutely does not believe in anything. And I said, no, April, it's happening all the time. And we were sitting in my bedroom on the computer and she goes, no, it's not. A, and then right in front of her face, pop, a pop of light, like a firefly going off. Oh, and we both just sat there gosh. and went, this is crazy. And I ended up moving out a couple of years later because Dan and I moved in together. But it was it was crazy. It was like, she okay, She wanted so to perform her monologue. She's like, I want you I know, that's so to creepy. listen to me real quickly. What do you think of this? <laughs> I've, pre- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've prepared Stocking casting Diary of Anne Frank. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, the headshot appeared out of nowhere. Like, I just got goosebumps. Yeah. Oh, my God. I had them all the time. Oh, my God. I've had it's a story. story. The yeah. story fits. Yeah. Right? yeah. I mean... And the saddest thing is that building is gone now. They tore down the building and the building next to it. And there's this super modern five-story building that takes no, the whole thing. No. And I want to go like, oh, my like- God, is, is, was, it a, was that energy attached to the physical building? Mm-hmm. Or is now she wandering around in that area where the bathroom was? Yes, I, I'm just fascinated yeah. by that stuff. So that's so crazy. Yeah. Oh my God. We did an episode on famous haunted Hollywood mm-hmm. apartments, and there were like a oh, slew yeah. of them on Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah. I was right. going to say, like, was it the the Hudson or the Gersh one? There's a ton of them that just think of all that energy. I mean, yeah, all that it's all the, the energy focus. from the 30s yeah. and the 40s. I mean, especially like, disappointed actor uh-huh. energy. Like, yeah, nothing's more tragic. It really is, though. It's just like there's all that like pent up like oh, yeah. hopes and dreams mixed mm-hmm. in with like disappointment and rejection when i do when i would teach audition workshops Mm. years ago the thing that i would tell actors you got to deal with your shit Mm -hmm. because you you're a great actor don't come in here with a neon sign over your head needing me to validate you Mm. you have to learn to validate yourself that's how you're going to get your job can you teach at our school can you tell some of these do they need like a resident psychologist because they don't understand it's like you can be the best actor in the you can be in ferociously talented and have absolutely the right look but if you're carrying that frisson Mm. of of crazy like Mm-hmm. validate me validate me hire me this this job will change my life i mean i would tell people this one job holds potential but there's mm-hmm. thousands of other potentials that are yeah. going to be out there you can't focus on this so i mean that's just an example of like that desperation thing that you're mm-hmm. talking about now let's multiply that times a million and that's what hollywood boulevard yeah. is it's glamour mm-hmm. yeah. right glamour mm-hmm. is is fairy magic that's all illusion yeah, it's yeah. all illusion, oh, and it was, falls apart for that's people. That's what Bryce always, always mentions. Talk about this, that like, layers of deceit in a way, and like energy, because right. like you see, especially I think the Oscars are the perfect example. That is yeah. Hollywood Boulevard mm-hmm. is like the way I walk every morning to get to school. It does not look like that. Oh, it is no. the in fact exact opposite of yeah. what you're seeing on TV. So it's like just a very physical. They literally cover the sidewalk oh, and the street yeah. with red carpet. Like yeah. after they so, hose down all the urine, oh, you're and like kick oh, gagging yeah. as you're walking Push down the street. All the homeless God. people out yep. of the line of sight. Like yep. you know, there was yeah. all that like, controversy in Beijing during the Olympics. Like they're like shipping their homeless population uh-huh. like out of the city. Uh-huh. Yeah, what do you think we do in Los Angeles every exactly. morning? Exactly. Like, exactly. And we did it for the Olympics. The oh, Olympics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We shipped them all. It was hundred yeah, percent. So ship them out and ship them right back yeah. here. So it's just. It's just that very physical layer of, like, covering the grime of Hollywood. And then, of course, you add in, like, decades of Mm -hmm. that. Just, like, all that focus. Of course, the boulevard is, like, full of haunted, broken dreams. And I always say at the school, too, like, 
acting is not therapy. Please do not like they're just like weeping in the like yeah. lobby. There's like <laughs> families visiting for a tour. I'm like, can you take this outside? <laughs> Turn it down yeah. Enough. yeah, it's it's very there's intense. lots of yeah. therapists in LA. Oh my god, so many, I know. can't swing a cat by the tail. <laughs> by the um, so your ghost stories. Um, we just had, well, I had dinner with a mutual friend last night who shared a ghost story of her own that has been, yeah, it's currently happening. It so. creeped me out on the way over here. I was like, oh, oh, I was no. telling Bryce this and you guys this. So we were having dinner and we were just bouncing ideas for the life show we're going to have in Pasadena. And, um, she was telling me that she lives in an apartment in North Hollywood and she lives with two other girls. And, um, one of the girls, like, there, there's two per rooms. So there's a two bedroom, two bathroom apartment. And one of the girls would wake up late at night and feel the sensation of someone like touching her toes. Nope. And when she would kind of open her eyes from her sleep, she would see like a vision of a man in the shadows look like a kind of like older Asian man. And this would happen, you know, a couple of times a week. And then, my friend has another friend who is uh, very sensitive. She didn't tell her anything about what, you know, her roommate was seeing at night. So the girlfriend was staying at their apartment for a couple of days. And then she looks at, you know, she tells um, her friend and the roommates, um, by the way, you have like this Asian guy here. No. <laughs> and they're like, wait, what? Now, yeah. See, that's the thing that's fascinating to me is when you don't, when the information is not shared and they get that specific, oh, yes. like that, the bathroom. that yeah. and there's, there's so many records of that kind of stuff. Exactly. You know, see, what, and I'm like, is there an old Asian man in the apartment somewhere? Yeah. <laughs> and, what, and why does he have a foot fetish? All of us. Well, that's a very common one. Yeah. That's we, <laughs> yeah. nothing. What is this? That's nothing. <laughs> It is so common. It, yeah. It's the most common one, though. Yeah. I mean, foot yeah. fetishes are the most common. Uh, Body part type fetish. Yeah. yeah. I do not get that. And, well, this is another So you don't thing. know about shrimping? <laughs> oh, my God. I do not. <laughs> Your face is all. I'll leave that to you for you to look Great. up. I'm going to just Google uh, that. Yeah. You should be crying. <laughs> what does that sound? Is that a ghost? No, it's Bryce. He's Bryce. Crying. He's leaving. Can't Where did Bryce go? He's doing crying in the tub in the bathroom. That's your homework. Yeah, yeah, I have a foot aversion. So whenever I hear oh. about like foot fetishes, I'm like, really? Like, that, is so, that was so interesting. But the gr- the friend was um, explaining to them, yeah, he started touching my toes. <laughs> oh yeah and i think she's also um she's clairvoyant clairaudient and clairsentient she can smell so she's like oh yeah do you always smell like there's tea brewing because i smell oolong tea wow and, That's and w- yes and one of the girls is saying yeah i thought i came home one one evening and i thought i smelled tea and i thought maybe someone made tea in the kitchen but it's been happening on a daily basis wow. she's like yeah that's him that's him brewing it wow <laughs> oh my gosh oh don't touch my toes don't touch my toes but do don't brew me some coffee yeah, like, as a ghost like, <laughs> I, I feel mixed things about this story so now. as a ghost you can still like brew nice. like your favorite things hope I like there's that. hope right yeah, yeah. there's hope Yes. Oh. There's this weird guy there's this like vision of this guy that kept, like, keeps on going down like the driveway of or the drive up drive through of the Starbucks is Bryce. Oh, it's oh weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, ooh, yes, a little. Is oh. it? Yeah, it might be. My bad. Sorry. <laughs> I have 
the page open for the exorcist for later. Oh. <laughs> um, I will, well, I have a lot of weird, like we were talking Dr. Trello about like things that I can't quite explain. I'm like, maybe this was, so I'll tell like a kind of quick one. We in college, I went to a very conservative, like Christian university and we were like assigned for, I forget exactly which class of some kind of like critical thinking and in Christianity, some type of like dogma type class. And we were assigned <laughs> this book. I'm so buttoning like, my is, lip right I now. Know. No, no, no. I, it's I'm like, fine. this is not an oxymoron. <laughs> so yes. so buttoning right. my lip. Yes. But, right. I mean, that was the entire curriculum was, like, the sort of ways that you can prove, quote-unquote, the Bible and religion through critical thinking, which, like, is a complete... I don't know. Different I don't know. podcasts. Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't right. want to talk about like what faith right. actually is. Yeah. <laughs> Four hours later, I'm still like right. ranting. Um, but I was reading this book and it was about like a missionary in China and he like meets this Buddhist monk who's like possessed. It's sort of the very broad overview of this book. And I was reading it in my dorm room at like two in the morning. It was like, do the next day. Very good student. And at, in the corner of my eye, we had two rooms in our dorm and the one room we had put black lights in like our overhead lights. Yeah. Really classy. It was 2004. <laughs> what do you want? And, um, in the corner of my eye, it was like a moth was just fluttering, but like it was hard to see. And every time I would look, there was nothing there. And then I would like go back to reading it and then it would just be like fluttering in like my peripheral. And you know, I can't see, anything because it's all black lit. Mm-hmm. And so I turned my desk light on cause it was like the only source of real light. And when I turned it on the fluttering, like flashed across like horizontally across like my vision, but I knew it wasn't like a moth cause it was like, it was just so fast. It was like oh. sort of like a streak kind of like a crescendo across my eyesight. And I, like, froze because I am a huge coward. <laughs> and so I just, like, froze and, like, waited to see if anything happened. And then one of my roommates who was staying in the other, like, we, there was three of us. And so the two of them were sleeping in the other room. He had, like, come down the hall. He's like, are you okay? I'm like, I don't know. Something really weird just happened. He said, yeah, I heard someone, like, running down the hall. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, no one's up. I, I think something really, really bizarre just happened. And similar to like what all these stories are going to be like talked to our RD the next day. He's like, yeah, something's been going on very recently on like the South end of the dorm. So then like, of course, in like true Christian college fashion, we like prayed over that whole end of the dorm and like had a hall meeting and we're like, let's like be aware of like spiritual warfare. And so that was the only incident of anything that even had happened, but the same thing when it's so, when other people kind of confirm, confirm exactly. So like him coming in and being like, Hey, like what just happened for something that to me was so close. Like I I thought it was just happening like in my vision. Right. And then for him to experience it like down the hall and hearing it where I was seeing something. Mm-hmm. Did you see, you haven't seen hereditary yet, have you? No. Okay. Because that's one of the effects Ooh. that happens. It's that it's almost exactly what you've just described. Just this, me, Tony just this like <laughs> sort of this traveling flash of light mm-hmm. where 
the people go, did something just happen? Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. And it was super weird because it was, and we talked about this in the episode where I saw something in the field. Right. Anytime light always really, I like notice it, like how it refracts or how it, you know, bounces off. So the fact that my lamp light was on, but that it was like a dark flash in front of me. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, whether it was yeah. because it was silhouetted behind my lamp or whatever was actually happening seeing like the darkness move was like what freaked me out the most. I was like, anything that's like light and dark, I really don't like that metaphor, I guess. But Mm -hmm. it's interesting because, you know, as you were describing it immediately, I thought because I first, I uh, occasionally get what are called called classic oracular migraines where it starts off where you see fluttering. Mm-hmm. And for those of you out in podcast land, I'm making, I'm making jazz flutter fingers. Oh, by they my can eye. See oh wait, Hey, if you're on Instagram flutter, right flutter now, fingers. I, know, okay. I looked over and saw the comments. Hello. <laughs> um, but it, and, and if I don't get like three Advil and a diet Coke in me really quick, <laughs> it'll, I'll go blind. I'll like, I'll lose my yeah. sight for about 20 minutes where it's all just flashes of color. So immediately I thought, Oh my God, I wonder if it was a migraine. Oh my and God. then you talk about the light moving across and immediately I went, Oh, well the, the bright light, maybe he had a detached retina or a retina tear because that's the flashes sure. of light. Cause it magnifies and it's two in the morning and he's studying and you're like, with a freaking yeah. black light. You yeah. Crazy boy. <laughs> um, but then, but then, but once again to go, Oh wait, you weren't the only one that experienced yeah. this. Yeah. But like, that's yeah. what we, like I was doing all those same things. Sure. Like, no, you're tired. Like you're, it's the window is open or something. You know what I mean? Like you just start going through every possible what could this actually be? Right. And it, because it didn't take any kind of form that I recognize right. movement and light based, like now it goes back to energy. Like this could have it been does. that energy running down the hall. Yeah. And that's the little peripheral yeah. piece you got in your, in, I mean, in your defense too, every single story that you've shared, you always have someone next to you or a witness. I know it's really, oh, yeah. you always do. Yeah, especially I would with like like that to stop. <laughs> oh my you're god, like you're like Danny in The Shining. You're rad brown. You're the battery. You're the battery making it happen. <laughs> no, his story about Billy can't field. talk to yeah, him yeah, Mrs. Torrance. Yeah, yeah, it's a little creepy. Did not <laughs> so, and, like, of course, we all jump to like there's a demon like attacking the school. So oh, yeah. really rational. Okay. Do you guys have any phobias? Yes. Yeah. I don't think they're like. Full, they're no, not debilitating, okay. right? Right, right, right. I think I have, like, minor arachnophobia. I can't, like, if any kind of, like, National Geographic where there's, like, a picture. You know how they'll do, like, the close-ups? Sorry, my mouth is actually getting a little dry. <laughs> wow. I'll give you a moment. Well, I'm surprised you don't have your juice. <laughs> no, right. I slurped that down. We had a Trenti this morning. Trenti juice, um, Shelby. Yeah. So any, like, close contact, like, I can't touch the page that it's on, like, in the magazine. Okay. Oh, wow. Yay. Or oh, any, cool. like, yeah. movie, like, if you've seen the Lord of the Rings movies, when they're fighting the spider and he's touching the mandibles to keep it, like, off of him, I can't watch that scene at all. Or, like, Harry Potter, the Harry right. Potter ride, where, oh, like, yeah. they come toward... God, I really... Oh, okay, <laughs> you're like, okay, okay. Well, you're, right. no. <laughs> you're gonna see a grown man cry today. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we needed safe words yeah, before right? we started today. So, But it's not, like, debilitating. Like, if I see no, a spider yeah. in real life, I'm very much, like... It has to go. Right. I, I'm not like paralyzed, but yeah, I can't do spiders. Yeah. I what about you, really, Tammy? You have anything? No, I don't really have a phobia. Oh, oh man, you're fearless. Like, I mean, height? I mean, I guess I'm like, I have a fear of heights. <laughs> oh, like, okay. my palms get really sweaty, like, when I'm uh, mm-hmm. 
like like on a sky like what what is the name of that um, skyscraper in downtown? Is it the Chase Building or the Empire? Oh, the first yes, I've gone to like the tippy top of the sky floor and, and like yeah. looking yeah. over the window. I'm like, Mm-mm. that's pretty common. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I don't like yeah, that that's so common. Yeah. So I I have one that is weird and developed in high school, kind of out of nowhere, but. I do not like to be in my car pulled up to the train tracks when a train is going by. I have this fear of being hit by a train while I'm sitting in my car. So I will park like two car lengths away and everyone behind me hates me. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't look at it and I turn the radio way up so I don't have to hear it. And it just, just in high school, like kind of developed out of nowhere. And then I dated a guy that lived right behind train tracks and I think that sort of mm. that exposure therapy kind of started to work for oh, me where I it's see. not yeah. as strong anymore but I don't know what it was but just ooh, I don't That's know so specific that it, it didn't is come so from specific. like an incident no. or yeah and I, I can walk across train tracks or you know oh. that doesn't bother me just being in my car like uh, I don't like to get near it. my husband I'll like kind of mess around as we're going to drive across oh and like God. you know when the arms are just going up or they're about to come down <laughs> my heart does not race as fast as it does yeah. when they're coming <laughs> down and I'm like whoa which way is it going <laughs> it's the worst Scott you have anything I have tons of irrational fears but they're just so run of the mill neuroses yeah you know I mean I, I think a lot of phobias are based I mean, the research says that a lot of phobias do have, uh, are somehow connected to a biological imperative. Mm. You know, I remember being upon, we were up on uh, my family's sort of farm property when I was a little kid and I was walking through sort of the forest in the back and came across a king snake, you know, and they're, they're enormous Mm -hmm. and they're completely harmless, except they're great. They like eat rats Mm -hmm. and stuff. And, but it was just, I remember as a little kid, like feeling it in my stomach as I saw mm. the snake slither. And like for, for many years that like it bugged me and it doesn't bother me now. Like I've got a picture. If you go through my Facebook feed of when I, I was doing a show in Thailand years ago and we went to the the snake farm and I have a boa constrictor laying on my shoulders. And I remember like, I may crap myself right now. Like it was, <laughs> yeah, you know, everybody, yeah, it was because it has such power, but there's, there are a lot of, there's a lot of research that says that that's a biological imperative that we are wired to actually recognize things and be scared of things that can do us harm snakes. Sure. It's also Heights. why snake in particularly in, in the Christian belief system. It's like, that's why they see it as evil because desert snakes are dangerous. Right. They, they're not, there are right. no non-dangerous snakes that live in the desert. Right. They, they kill. Their venom mm-hmm. is very powerful. Can I just say, I thought you were going to say you were dancing with a boa constrictor. No. A la Britney Spears. Yes. <laughs> like, no, oh it would be like Sal, Salma Hayek. pictures of this? It was like a Salma Hayek. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Pandemonium Santana. Yeah. That was such a great scene. you got to find it and post it on like yes. Instagram. Tammy <laughs> can put your head on a Britney Spears body. I will. <laughs> what was it? So, Get ready. <laughs> but we, oh, you know what we were talking, we looked it up. Up because there is a very common oh. phobia that I, the, I'm not going to let you look at it. This will freak you out. <laughs> but it's a very common phobia of uh, randomly ordered holes. Oh yeah, it's trypophobia. Trypophobia. Everybody it, thinks she has it and she doesn't. I, Emily, if you're listening, I get that's right. I, mean, no, I, I didn't think it was a real thing until they go. If you, you know, if you want to check and see if you have this, Google the image yeah. seed pod and then lotus lily seed pod. pod. Mm-hmm. Lily pod. Okay. And I looked at it and I went, mm, 
I looked at it a little too long. And the yeah. reasoning behind it is we are, we are wired to recognize disease. And that's oh, what, wow. that's what black plague looked like. It's what, um, yeah, it's the all, open, wound. open wounds. Yeah. Yeah. And so those holes immediately, our brain sees that as like bad, get away from this mm-hmm. contagious, get away mm-hmm. from so it. So since you and I talked about that on Thursday night, my friend Meha, hello, if you're listening, I, I know she is. <laughs> she totally has it. They're oh. doing construction in their, in their home right now. And her husband, it's, it's so Specific to that, her husband went home and took the little blue painter's tape and taped a bunch of things that he wanted fixed, and she got it just by looking at that pattern. Wow. Wow. It's crazy. It's so crazy. It's wow, such a thing. Tape. I my, know. My you gotta roommate, look up when the she images. drives up to visit her family in Palo Alto, the hillsides have like those yes. the, the pod plants. Yeah. Uh-huh. What they're called. Uh-huh. But even seeing those on the hillside, she sometimes has to like pull the car over and like breathe it down. It's so wow. interesting. Yeah. Oh, I want so to look, I want to, okay. so to tie this to what we're talking about, you, you know, I do believe that there's something out there. Mm-hmm. Look, you know, it's 150 years ago. We didn't know what radioactive materials did. We didn't understand the concepts of radiation and x-rays look. And that's a subtle energy that we now have a great understanding for. The idea that we would be able to use the movement of electrons along a path turning into electricity to generate communication across vast distances. We could not have even imagined that, right? Right. I really believe whether it is, and I don't really believe in the word supernatural because Mm -hmm. I don't think anything supersedes nature. Hmm. There is only what we do not yet have an understanding of, right? So in 150 years or less, we may know, oh yeah, there's a remnant of this so-and-so energy that sticks around and some people it stays longer or, but that's what I find fascinating about these discussions is everybody takes these experiences around the world and they look at it like you were saying through their own lens, their own paradigm of understanding. And then you said something so beautiful in one of uh, your podcasts I was listening to the other day, because it was very reminiscent of the opening of the Lord of the Rings that's narrated by Galadriel, which is Kate Blanchett. Mm-hmm. And she talks about truths. A, a truth starts out and then it becomes history and then it becomes legend and then it becomes myth. Mm-hmm. It's all about just time, like mm-hmm. how much time and, and that game of telephone of how some of the things change. You know, we do that to ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that experience was 30 years ago. What how, what actually happened? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my long way around. Like, that's why I'm so open to, you know, I, I can't, I wish people did more r- rational explanation. You know, I don't like yeah. James Randi. I think he, I mean, he's dead, but I think he's dead. <laughs> he was, he was not a nice man. He was not a nice man, but I, I his under, his goal was to debunk all of these phenomena. Mm-hmm. And he had the million dollar challenge. The only thing was, is that he did, they would not answer all requests. Like there are some legitimate healers that are studied by big time medical mm-hmm. universities. There's phenomenon that like, you know, no, let's, let's really research this. Yeah. Like the, a lot of the hauntings they've found, um, there's a commonality being over right. I mean, Riberian rivers. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. deep subterranean oh, yeah. water, mm-hmm. that movement causes vibration in all the stone and the earth. And if that, and if a house is built on top of it, it's going to change the electrical currents in the house. People wow. are going to go, are they really feeling cold spots or are they just kind of picking up on like dog energy, like how dogs sense things? Right. Well, I think anyway. as a society, we are so insulated 
from our more basic survival instincts like you were talking about. Right. And it's like this weird phenomenon where we have to like remind ourselves. We yeah. talk about this so many times, like trust your gut. Like there's a reason your body is yeah. reacting these ways. Yeah. Like when you need to run, run. When you need to fight, fight. Like do those things. But we're so like inundated with like non-survival Right. Influence, like, it's on your phone, it's on your phone, that when we do experience those things that are, like, more natural, more, like, primal urges, we, like, can't process them sure. anymore. Or even just, I'm, I have to be so socially polite that I'm right. not listening to that inner voice that's telling me not to be in this elevator well, alone with this person. Right. Hello, patriarchy and what women have been putting well, up with for thousands of years, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, without yes, going too right. far down that, but you're, that you hit it on the head, the idea that we do have this innate understanding for what is what is dangerous mm-hmm. to us and yet and you and I coming from the culture of the south good southern yeah. ladies good southern mm-hmm. ladies don't complain and good good oh. southern ladies you know they don't get themselves into that kind of yeah. like oh no. anyway okay oh, I'll push my I'm going to push my soapbox back under yeah. <laughs> that's all hogwash yeah. <laughs> Well, should we jump into the exercise? Yes. yes. Well, I wanted to just, as we go into this, what mm-hmm. I wanted to say a little bit about, which doing this research is so fantastic and, and fascinating. It's a total rabbit hole. But the idea of possession is in almost every culture. It's in some cultures more than others. But mm-hmm. we have we have historical data about, um, you know, goddesses, I mean, not goddesses, uh, priestesses, that were dedicated to particular gods in the Roman and you know classical Roman and Greek eras, where it was a possession was a gift. Mm-hmm. Possession was oh the the gods are touching you, yeah. they are delivering a message to us through you, and that was seen as like that means you were divinely touched. Epilepsy was called um, the the touch of I think the touch of the god or the wow. touch of the divinity because they would be oh look he's had I don't know, he's having a seizure you know? yeah God didn't help. touch I it think no. we still do that with like people who speak in tongues or like right. more Pentecostal kind of like that's so interesting mm-hmm. yeah, yeah except really that, in every culture exactly so that like why it's oh, interesting yeah. how it's like oh well when you know um, Mrs Jones who has a shingle on her front door and she does channeling to help people heal that's of that's of the devil mm-hmm. but when you know somebody's dancing around on a pulpit and speaking in tongues it's like that's that's the so it's, it's interesting how you how we look at that but it's in it's in Judaism um, not it's not seen as positive in in um, uh, Judaism it's usually there's a great movie called the Dibbuk, mm-hmm. which was about um, you know a, like a, an evil spirit that possesses a little girl um, so it's seen in Jewish folklore in the mm-hmm. Kabbalah. It's called the Dibbuk in Islam. Um, Islam is very divided about it. Like a lot of, like yeah. I was reading a lot of articles where many imams are like, no, we don't talk, this not even acknowledge it. And then mm-hmm. the other ones are like, no, historically and in our folklore, we do believe in possession by jinn. They're, you know, which was what we call genie, but jinn, which are fire spirits and they're pretty mischievous slash mm-hmm. evil. Um, even though there are, you know, versions of angels as well, but there's, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of stories about it except for sort of like, like rural village folklore that I was able to find. And then in Hinduism, um, there's, uh, there are spirits slash demons that can, um, engage in possession as there is in Buddhism. But, you know, once again, the more, it seems like the more organized, 
and canonized the religion is, mm-hmm. how it slides over to it's bad. Mm-hmm. Because you also see in you know the rise of in, uh, voodoo and Santeria and sort of, sort of the African diaspora um, religions, the gods mounting you is is a gift. Like mm-hmm. that's what you go into trance states for. So the loa will come and bless your body with their presence wow. and. And you're able to give healing to others and, and share this, you know, in your, your practicing community. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. It's all over the place, but it's all about that cultural lens. And the other, the, the other sad thing is like how many deaths happen. Yeah. There are actually a lot of deaths that happen from exorcisms yeah. every year. Right. And that's in rural America. It's in Europe right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and how are those deaths being caused? Because they beat the crap out of mentally ill people. Gotcha. You know, they beat the crap out of them. They tie them up. They, you know, yeah. there was a nun in Romania, and which is interesting because that's like the nun movie is out. But in Romania in 2004, I think it was, um, a 23-year-old, um, what they call them, novices, what are, what are the, the, so you're Before not they fully a nun. Yeah. It's just this young woman, 23, had not taken her vows. We know that schizophrenia in women presents about five to 10 years later than it does in men. And she starts having, you know, all these psychotic break, break, hearing things, seeing things. They tie her up and hang her in a well for three days. Yeah. That's, that's going to get rid of the spirit. And she died. It was a huge court Mm -hmm. case. Oh, wow. So So, I've actually seen an exorcism and it was incredibly violent. So like, as soon as, where was it? Indiana. So the, wow. uh, yeah, I Wait, remember the story. You were present. Yeah. Oh, geez. Talk. Yeah. So uh, they were exercising, quote unquote, the demon of homosexuality from this guy that I knew. Uh, sorry, I don't want to like say a ton of details because no, okay. like I don't want to like throw anyone under the right. bus. Right. Right. Uh, but basically, did it work? Let <laughs> me. <laughs> I would say no. <laughs> but like, I think again. I'm like, sorry. I didn't. I don't know. No, 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 no disrespect. And yeah, no disrespect like, to your friend. But like, I no, it did not. Just, like that's just my trigger. Opinion. You yeah. know. Trigger. Sorry, this halo was busted. And yeah. he even <laughs> said like, because you know, we kind of did ask the same question. Like, well, like, how do you feel now? He's like, now I think it's more a question of like the dog that I feed. Like that old. Oh. Like myth of like which wolf, which yeah. wolf? Yeah, yes. Right, right. So no, it didn't work. But and I think most of that was because in order to quote like complete it or to like have it be successful, there had to be some kind of like physical manifestation, quote unquote. I just this whole thing is in air quotes, just like so I can stop saying right. that. Um, there had to be a physical manifestation of the demon like being removed from his body, but they were like CPRing on his stomach, like full on like while they're like praying over him so it's like that physical like exertion and it's like super chaotic and it's very like loud and violent until he threw up and then like once he threw up it was over uh so yes like and that has hardly how did people die that has hardly yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, has hardly anything to do with the fact that they're fucking punching him in the stomach repeatedly right Right. Right. like the, just the cognitive dissonance in that like experience was really aggressive. Like even he, because like he, it was voluntary. Like he was not forced sure. into this exorcism. It wasn't that he was possessed. Uh, it was just that he was being like afflicted by the demon of homosexuality. I think was the sort of terminology right. that was being used. 
Um, and, you know, that was a choice he made. And he, like, moved forward in his life with, like, he got married and he has children. And I think he's very happy. You know, I obviously don't want to, like, put judgment sure. on anyone. No, life. I mean, look, everybody has their choices totally. in that respect. I mean, th- that is a choice. That is a choice to mm-hmm. go against the way you're wired. Yeah. If that's what you choose, right. okay, but, yeah. you know, please don't, you know, please yeah, give, it was please give nice. people a break that are not that, like, by that path. point. Like, he wasn't being forced to do it or, like, held right. down yeah. or whatever. Like, he wasn't tied down. But that's as soon as you said, like, oh, that's how people die. Because, like, what if something had gone? There wasn't any kind of medical professional right. there no, watching no. this happen. The exhaustion yeah. and the- it, it delivers the question, like, like is it Satan or psychosis, mm. in my opinion? Like, what is the difference? And that, I was reading an article about a girl in Islam who, um, I think she almost died because the practitioner confused, mm. like, her mental health symptoms. She was suffering from, like, bipolar disorder, and she was also, uh, I think she suffered from anxiety, and the parents didn't, they weren't educated in, like, mental health. So they took her to a practitioner, and the guy, like reads the Quran, gives her this liquid, puts his two fingers down her throat until she vomits and she blacks out. And Aww. yeah, it was, a, it was a big article and it was, this is how they handle these mm-hmm. things. Like, yeah, this is why people die yeah. because Scott her. deals with this all the time at oh work. Oh my God. Trying to get people resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and trying, you know, because we, we have such a, a diverse population here and there's various levels of education and mm-hmm. understanding. And there are so many medical, it, like Huntington's disease mm-hmm. and on Tourette's. I mean, God help you in the Middle Ages if you had Tourette's. Like mm-hmm. you were either going to be the court jester or you're a demon child mm-hmm. and they're going to, or a witch, a you witch, know, they'll, yeah. they'll burn you. Um, and then, you know, we also, we don't think about the historical context of trauma as much as we do. Now we have more of a vocabulary that's, that's sort of in the vernacular. People have at least an understanding Mm -hmm. for dissociation for Mm -hmm. the idea that if you traumatize someone, they can have a dissociative state where they'll wake up and go, wait, what, what happened? Mm -hmm. Where, what's been going on for the last week or the last Mm -hmm. month or whatever, you know, historically, if that's happened, you know, they're going, this other comes out, the protective, like we talk mm. about in dissociative identity disorder, That's what that would have been seen as, yeah. as possession. But, you know, well, God help people. Well, in the exorcist. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That's what, with the true story with uh, Robbie Mannheim or Roland Doe, that was one of the symptoms they labeled sure. him as. Sure. Oh. Alongside Tourette's, alongside what else, uh, dissociative identity disorder and even schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. They try to like diagnose him with that, mm-hmm. but mm. not the case, wow. not the case here, not here. Well, let's, <laughs> let's move on. Tell us. Cause I'm, I'm fascinated now. I only, I watched that horrible documentary haunted boy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I, that, I was like, I am sorry. It's a little hokey, but yeah. they got it, well, look, the story. Yeah. And yeah. some, some things in it are really well done. Like yes. I actually, what's crazy to me is like, the reenactments, although a little cheesy, are actually really well done. Yeah. And then, like, they, they're filmed well. It's like they're really painting a picture. And then, and I know I'm going to burn for this. <laughs> but, you know, look, dude, why does every paranormal 
investigation team have to look like a bunch of buffoons. <laughs> yeah. Like, dude, yeah. cut that greasy ponytail yeah. off. I, Get I, yourself I a know. buff puff. Yeah. They all look Come like on. if I had a dollar for every affliction shirt or oh like you know, gothic cross or something, yeah. I could buy a house like Ed Hardy, you know, yes. sort of. But it's like Ugh. you you have spent close to a quarter of a million dollars on the equipment. I can see how yeah. much you've invested right. in equipment. Right. Uh, right. Get a makeover. Yeah. I'm, I'm Get a mirror. Find a two dollar mirror. Oh my god. And look, and I'm saying I'm also. I mean, I'm, I I know it sounds cruel, and I apologize. Um, no, and no. Because I'm not trying to hurt anybody's People feelings. Have their own I'm just style. saying. But you, right, and if you really, if you want it, you want to be taken seriously, right? Right. So going through these buildings in the middle of the night with like a leather cowboy hat and a duster <laughs> and gloves yes. with like you know hot topic, hot topic jewelry. Come on. Okay. Yeah, okay. Pretty serious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look, he wanted to be extra. He wanted yeah. to be extra. Making yeah. ghost hunting extra as fuck. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, now I feel bad. Like, is he going to listen to this and be upset? I really doubt, doubt it. it. I think he's, for listening. He's still like shopping for more leather cowboy hats and dusters right now online. Amazon Prime, that you know. <laughs> we all like wake up tomorrow. Like, why do we have zero subscribers? Like, what happened? They're like all love Ed Hardy. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, Ed Hardy. Thank you. <laughs> I guess what we can do is start with like the history of this, um, yes. like how we do in our in our podcast. Um, in order to begin, we need to go back to 1949, and let's go back to 1949 in Washington D.C. But let's start off like, what is an exorcism and what is an exorcist? So, like based on Wikipedia, of course, mm-hmm. and the Catholic Church, um, exorcism and the Catholic Church seem inseparable thanks to films like The Exorcist and mm-hmm. The Exorcism of Emily Rose, as well as the Church's own proclamations of exclusivity. But in reality, the earliest evidence of exorcism predates Christianity by hundreds and hundreds of years. As we discussed, and exorcists have been a part of religious practices worldwide for ages, including among witches and Satanists that the church blames for every single current demon infestation and negative thing in the world. The church does love blaming people. That's oh, they love really quoting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put simply, exorcism is the expulsion of an unwanted force or energy from a person, place, or thing that is afflicted by the energy in the extreme. A person who is possessed by such a force lacks self-control as a result of that possession. And an exorcist comes in and he specializes in casting out these entities. So if you or a loved one isn't a linguist and starts uh, quoting dead languages, reeking of sulfur or anything rotting and is levitating, an exorcist could be helpful Mm -hmm. alongside uh, possibly a shrink or having Dr. Scott or Dr. Shallow get involved in it, you know? (laughs) That's not my shower. Taking out the trash. (laughs) (laughs) No, I won't be doing that. I don't like working with that population. So William Blatty in 1971 wrote a book, which later became a film called The Exorcist. When the movie came out, it portrayed a small girl as being possessed by the devil, when in reality, it was a small boy in 1949 who was labeled Roland Doe or the Haunted Boy. Wait, so it was a little girl possessed by Roland? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's like Inception. Now it gets deep. It gets really deep. So the story, it's the true story of The Exorcist, begins in 1949 in suburban Washington, D.C., so let's paint a picture of 49 in D.C. Harry S. Truman will deliver his inaugural address, or what they call the four-point speech. The U.S. is emerging from the shadows of World War II. The Whitehurst Freeway opens, connecting Arlington, Virginia, and D.C. for commuters, and WTOP-TV begins broadcasting. 
So with a family name, Hunkler, this was in the beginning, this was their cognito name, but what I found out through Tor- Troy Taylor's book, the devil um, came to St. Louis. They were called the Mannheims. So their 13-year-old boy, believed to be named Ronald, and then later referred to synonymously as Roland Doe, but we find out later that his name is Robbie, was despondent over the loss of his beloved Aunt Harriet, a spiritualist who taught him many things, including how to tampen into that hotline bling of the Ouija board. Oh, uh, okay. Of course. So no. a lot of people believe Harriet was into Satanism. No, she was just a spiritualist. She loved to study and learn more about the occult. She did work with the Ouija board. She know how to operate it, but she did this in front of Roland or Robbie. And Robbie just like was so enamored with it that he thought, oh, you just like put your fingers on the planchet and just mm-hmm. let it go. So just as a side note, the Ouija board was a game based on the uh, the witch board brought out by Parker Brothers. Now, the Ouija name is derived from two different types of um, yes. languages, French and German. Me yeah. for ya, yeah, yes. yes. Ya yeah for yes as well in German. So if Bryce were to have a game based off of Ouija, it would be called No-No or no McBucket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, and, but it should also be said that, that spirit boards have been around for a long Centuries. time. Centuries, Like yes. there's been all different versions of it. It was a very big deal. It was, this was like you were saying in one of your earlier podcasts and that's Sarah Winchester. Yes. It was, this is parlor game. This was how yeah, there, game, there yeah. wasn't, there weren't radios. It's like, oh, let's unwrap a mummy. They used to do exactly. that. Exactly. Let's have a mummy party. That or let's not be sanitary. I got Oh, back oh, then, was anything sanitary? Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> no. They used it. They, in Victorian times, they used mummy dust as uh, medicine. They thought, oh, well, this will be... Ugh. Let's Sorry. try taking this. That would be my phobia. Yeah. Sorry. How has the human race survived Science this long? Like, I know. It's a miracle. We should use to an radium as makeup. Why <laughs> are we alive? Oh, my God. Like, what? But what Ouija specialists have stated, the board is not good or evil. It all depends on the person mm. the person and their intention. Auntie Harriet, they believe, was tapping into the 666 hotline with little Roland. But really, <laughs> I mean, who knows? We weren't there. So on Saturday, January 15th, this is where literally all hell breaks loose. January 15th, 1949. Keep this date in mind because we'll touch on it very soon. Mm. Uh, Phyllis Mannheim went out for the evening with her husband, leaving Robbie and his grandmother Wagner at home in the house. Shortly afterwards, a dripping sound ensued and would not stop, despite the fact that every faucet was checked in the house in an attempt to locate the origin of the dripping noise, both Mannheim and his grandmother noticed that a painting of Christ began to shake uncontrollably against the wall. Later, when the parents arrived home, the dripping activity ceased, and a new noise was heard in forms of raps and scratching. Oh, wait. So who's witnessing this? This is uh, Roland and or Robbie. So, Robbie and, and the and, grandmother. Okay. So, so they're witnessing it, and they report, they're reporting it to the family members who come back, right? Exactly. Back from their when the night. parents come okay. back, the dripping noise stops, but mm. then... They hear scratches. So now the parents and everyone, the whole family is hearing the scratching sound. So in an attempt to locate the origin of the sound, the dad begins to tear off like floorboards. He rips down wall panels to locate, you know, what type of rodent or animal is making this noise. Nothing is making the noise. You don't find anything. So in January of 26, 11 days after the beginning of the scratching sounds and the water drips, Robbie's aunt Harriet died in St. Louis. Mm. Devastating Robbie, the boy consequently tried. This is where this is what happens. 
he tried to contact his aunt Harriet uh, via Ouija board. Of course, it's like the Twilight Zone where exactly. the little boy has the toy phone and he's talking to his favorite grandmother. Oh, that's exactly. Crazy. Well, like <laughs> Robbie was very close to Aunt Harriet. Aunt Harriet treated Robbie like a friend, not like a nephew. So Robbie thought, let me grab the board to contact Aunt Harriet. You see, Aunt Harriet knew how to open and close a se- uh, session. Robbie didn't. Oh, uh, which is very important in that it's work. It's very, yeah. very important. And people don't talk about that. That's a big Aleister Crowley thing. Yes. Did you know about that story? Yes. That's fascinating. We'll, we'll have to do another. That is another episode, episode that we would like, yes. we would have to segue for another hour talking yeah. about it's, that. It's crazy. Guys, just Google it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Robbie grabs the board, attempts to make communication. He does. He makes. Uh, he attempts to make a great communication with who he thought was Aunt Harriet, but he didn't close the session. So this led to demonic possession. So and just for the audience, yes. the idea when we were saying close the session, the idea is that in this work you're opening a door. Mm-hmm. And then you're also, when you're done, you got to close that door mm-hmm. right, or right. else it stays open. There's leakage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's yeah. about resealing. And it's I a, wonder why she wouldn't have like talked to him or like explained that to him. You would think, right? Because that's he, with that much experience. But anyway, well, like we said, we don't. Maybe she did. And he's, and, and, and he's a kid. So and maybe it's green. I think she was lonely and needed a, a friend. Yeah. That was it. Like she was lonely and needed a friend. Auntie Harriet wasn't married. And um, Auntie Harriet. Didn't, a woman in the 40s <gasps> and married? I know. St. Louis? Oh, so she was possessed. I see. Got it. Got it. There you go. She's a hussy. Only explanation. Got it. So things escalate. You're a perfect for a school teacher. <laughs> so the most most troubling thing was at night. It started at night. Right after the session, Robbie's mattress would suddenly move violently and shake, followed by a strange force that would attack him. Soon, Robbie oh. would violently lash out, speak in foreign tongue. His parents didn't know how to control him, what was causing him to go into these spells, as they call it. They just didn't know what to do. They were isolated, disturbed, and helpless. The family sought help with from every single expert they could find. They consulted with doctors and psychiatrists who diagnosed him with schizophrenia and Tourette's. And soon they, lo- they go seek the advice of their local Lutheran minister. But no one was of help. The minister suggested that the family seek the assistance of the Jesuits, the Jesuits, so the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. So Father E. Albert Hughes, the local Catholic priest, asked his superior's permission to perform an exorcism on the boy in late February of 49. However, Hughes stopped the rite when Roland, or Robbie, broke off a piece of spring from the mattress and attacked the priest, slashing one of his arms across the shoulder. So the priest is physically attacked. He is given 100 stitches for... Jeez. It was really bad, causing him to have permanent damage. So he lost all feeling in his right shoulder. He couldn't raise up his right arm anymore. So during, like, his sermons, he couldn't, like, raise up both arms. He can only raise up his left. So a few days later, red scratches appeared on the boy. One of the scratches formed the word Lewis, which indicated to Robbie's mom that the family needed to go to St. Louis where Auntie Harriet lived in past, and also where they had relatives in a way to to figure out how to save their son. 
Unfortunately, Robbie did not improve in St. Louis. His aunt and uncle who lived in Normandy, they lived in a small house off of Roanoke Drive. We'll get to that soon because that house plays into effect, too, with the paranormal aftermath. I just want to know if he had Lewis across... If they had looked under his arm, it would suffer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how old did you say he was? 13. Okay, so I'm, I'm just thinking, like, you know, how much, if he was an athletic kid, because, like, yes, you can do damage with a sharp object, but to go that deep to do that much nerve damage, like... It was pretty... You, you had intent. Like, there was, like, that. yeah, that was... Hughes was like, I'm out. Yeah. Tap me out. Bye. Bye. Especially after that episode, there was documentation that he did suffer from PTSD after this whole right. uh, attempt of his wow. exorcism on Robbie. Jesus. So um, it just seemed like it didn't, like nothing improved after he went to St. Louis. So he's in the midst of all of this possession. They pick him up, move him from D.C. to St. Louis. Exactly. They have family there. They stay with the family in their little house off of Roanoke. Okay. The family, it's a good thing that they're staying with the family because now the family, their aunt, uncle, and cousin, they're um, witnessing skin branding on mm. Robbie as well. They they see the mattress and bed shaking on many occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, on March 8th of 1949, the shaking of the mattress and scratching still persisted. A stool that was sitting near the bed was seen flying across the room in Robbie's cousin's room. So the cousin and Robbie were sharing a room together. The cousin was so sweet. He was so concerned about the shaking of the bed and Robbie that he even tried laying down on the bed mm. beside him to get the mattress to stop shaking. Wow. Okay. To his dismay, of course, it didn't work. Finally, one of the relatives who attended St. Louis University went to see her old teacher, Reverend Raymond J. Bishop. She asked him if he might be able to assist Robbie. And while we have no idea what his initial reply may have been, he did agree to look into the case. But it was Bishop who brought in William Bodern into the case. Mm. Father Bodern would be the head priest to perform the entire series of exorcisms. There wasn't one. There was a series of them on Robbie. But he wasn't doing this alone. He had the help of Father Bishop, Father Lawrence Kenny, and Father Charles O'Hara and Father O'Halloran. They needed a team of priests because this boy was haunted as fuck. (laughs) So the exorcism apparently started at the home of their aunt and uncle off of Roanoke Drive. The priest came in late one evening after Robbie went to bed. The ritual began. The boy was said to go into a trance. His bed shook and welts and scratches appeared on his body. Bishop was said to have wiped away the blood that welled up in the scratches while O'Hara attempted to hold the boy down. Soon the boy was taken to the Alexian Brothers Hospital. It was the main hospital where Robbie was sent after the first series of exorcisms. Now, there was even mention that he was even transferred to another hospital, St. Vincent Hospital. We'll get into that soon with the paranormal aftermath because there's still some weird juju with this hospital that was turned into an apartment complex that has a lot of weird no, things. That was, yeah. yeah, that was very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Robbie was sent to Alexian Brothers. He was placed on the fifth floor. At both locations, at both the Alexian Brothers and the, um, uh, what was it, the St. Vincent Hospital. So, the ordeal Wait, contained... sorry. He was placed on the fifth floor at both places? Yes. At both places. I have that written down, too. Yeah. I was like, yes. Mark, Which is, is weird, right? isn't Why it? Why does that creep me out so much? I have no idea. Oh, and I okay, even sorry, looked into it, too. Like, why the fifth floor? Why? But the ordeal continued for many weeks, and through many readings of the exorcism ritual... I mean, nothing was working for poor Robbie. According to witnesses, the boy's responses became more violent and repulsive as time went on. He was said to speak in Latin in a variety of voices in between bouts of screams and curses. 
He spat in the faces of priests who knelt and stood by his bed and his spittle and vomit struck them from uncanny distances. He punched and slapped priests and witnesses and staff members of the hospital. He consistently urinated and he belched and passed gas that was said to have had an unbelievable stench, which could have been a form of bad ideas, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, well, I was going to say. Well, <laughs> he is a teenage boy. Right? I was, yes. Are we sure that he's not just going through puberty? Like, this all just sounds like puberty. Right. I don't know. So there was a diary, and it was uh, a little book came out called The Exorcist Diary by Christopher St. Booth and Father Bishop. So on based on this diary, on Monday, April 8th, at 8 a.m., Robbie wakes up in a spell, spitting, kicking, and jumping. The priest performed a communion on Robbie by a 11 a.m. and finally between the hours of 9.30 and 10 p.m., Bodern led Robbie into prayer with Robbie's rosary. By 10.45, Bodern, Bodern delivered the Precipio, the final order. He's done this several times before, but this time it clicked. He asked the other priests to deliver them in English and not in Latin this time. While Bodern delivered Precipio, Father Bishop used over and over again the exorcism prayer to St. Michael, causing Robbie to deliver the most violent contortions during the last eight minutes of exorcism. By 11 p.m., Robbie became normal and in a calm and normal tone told priests, he's gone. Keep in mind that on 11 (laughs) p.m., this was the same time the manifestations began in Maryland on January 15th of 1949. Mm. So what happened to Robbie after this whole ordeal? According to Troy Taylor's book, The Devil Came to St. Louis, Robbie left St. Louis with his parents 12 days later and returned to Maryland. He wrote to Father Bodern in May of 49 and told him that he was happy. He got a new dog. Robbie was normal. He was a typical teenage boy of the 40s. Now, Robbie went on to attend a Catholic high school. The family also converted to Catholicism, and he's still a devout Catholic to this very day. And um, he went on to get married and raise children of his own. He still resides in D.C. And there were a number of rumors that swirled around about this poor man that he committed suicide. Mm. He was even an American Airlines pilot, which is all untrue. However, the identity of Robbie Rainham may never be revealed. However, he has reported of having no memory of being possessed. To psychiatrist Robbie Doe or Rob Doe or Roland Doe suffer from mental illness. And to priests, it was a case of demonic possession. To writers and film video producers, this was a great way to exploit his story for profit. And that is the story of Robbie Mannheim or Roland Doe, the haunted boy. It would be so fascinating if somebody could speak to him now if oh, he would yes. be willing to go they've on tried. Rec- and oh, i'm sure yeah. he doesn't want him he like no they yeah. want to just be especially if he has you know if that has now become his belief system and this is his his mm-hmm. his faith you know he doesn't want to revisit that he doesn't want to open that door again no you know what happened to the hospital and to the homes? Well, the original home in D.C. where Robbie and the family lived has been demolished. So the house was abandoned in the 60s and they tore it down. So it was a vacant lot. The hospital, the Alexian Brothers, was torn down in 78. But before it was torn down, Bodern gave strict orders to seal off not only the room where the exorcism was performed, but the whole fifth floor. There was also legend in St. Louis that strange happenings or something happened during demolition. And according to crew members who worked for the Department of Transportation, something was seen emerging from the moon, from the room just moments before the wrecking ball claimed it. Whatever it was, the men claimed that it looked like a, a rat or a big cat or something. It was just inhuman. 
So in recent years, another stranger version of the fate of the items within the exorcism room has come to light. So Father Borden not only instructed the nuns of the hospital to seal off the rooms, but anything that was left in the room during and after the exorcism needed to stay in the room. Uh, Everything from the bed, the bedding, the chair, the desk, the lamp, everything, including the diary or what they call the diary of the deliverance. Hmm. So the chairs and everything had been moved away to a basement in a rectory in St. Louis. That rectory was torn down and they were moved later to another location. There was also the diary that was collected. You see, when an exorcism is performed by the Roman Catholic Church, there's always a written file or profile based on the exorcism, like a court trial or Hmm. the exorcism files. What they call these files are the diary of the exorcism or what Bowdoin called the diary of the deliverance. So the diary was recorded with accounts that were also found by workmen inside the room, inside the desk. They thought that the paperwork was forgotten, but they had found a letter attached to the diary. And that letter, that portion of the letter read, the enclosed report is a summary of this case, which you have known for the past several years. The brother's part of this case has been so very important that I thought you should have the case history for your permanent file. It was signed by Father Raymond J. Bishop, the Jesuit priest from St. Louis University. Apparently, Brother Cornelius considered the record best kept in secret inside the sealed-off room, but the papers were turned over later to a local Jesuit priest, and they've been kept within, you know, that community. St. Vincent's Hospital, where it was one of the stops for Robbie, was turned into an apartment complex. Mm-hmm. Tenants of the apartment complex have complained to the manager that they have felt what seems like someone coming into the room and sitting at the foot of their bed late at night. They would wake up, turn on the light, and looks. it looks like someone had left an impression, like a seated impression no. on the foot of the bed. Like their butt spot. Yes, their butt impression, <laughs> but no one would be in the room. So they yes. would freak out. Now, here's a really interesting fact. The house, the little house on Roanoke Drive where Robbie's aunt and uncle lived in Normandy was sold in 2005 for $165,000. Now, the occupants or the owners of the home the reason why they bought the house was because on the listing it said Satan's home for sale. And it was the home of what they claimed the exorcist. So and did those people wear cowboy hats and hot topics? Yeah. No, they oh do, like, they you do imagine. look like they work for hot topic. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> they have claimed that they've had some unexplainable occurrences that have happened to them. Um, they've heard door slamming, heavy footsteps, even cold spots, cold spots in the second floor, especially in the room where Robbie had mm-hmm. stayed and had his exorcism. But even neighbors have stated that while the house was vacant for many, many years, they would see a strange shadowy figure in the second floor window. Ghost Adventures Destination America have investigated the house where they collected EVPs that have read all dead, fuck you, legion yep. and devil. Not to mention that even in the Alexian hot note, the Alexian brother hospital to after the um, the exorcism occurred and after they had sealed off the fifth floor, there have been claims of hearing screams, door slamming and heavy footsteps in that room. When people would go and check on the floor and the room, the room was still tightly sealed off. Mm. No one was there. So that is pretty much the paranormal oh. aftermath of the exorcism. The There's true so many the places that they moved this boy around. Yes. So. Yeah, they, I mean, he, it got so bad. Like, the hospital's like, you've got to move him somewhere else. <laughs> You're disturbing the other people. Yeah. Uh, it's smelling really bad in yeah. here. <laughs> That's what's so crazy, too, is I feel like so many times we talk about 
places or like the energy or the spirit or whatever you want to call it is attached to the location. Mm -hmm. But this is like moving with him and like different family members are collaborating. And so the thing that I find fascinating and I, I had, I was as much as I am fascinated by this material, Mm. I love when I come when I am educated on a new concept or a concept that I had not was not aware of before. So I talk, we talked a little bit before in our other podcast about how much I love these two Aussies that do Mysterious Universe. Oh yeah, do you know oh them? yeah, they're hilarious, and they talk about high strangeness all over the world, kind of like you know Art Bell did. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys remember oh, Art I Bell's don't. radio show. Oh my god, okay. yes. <laughs> so one of the things that they talk about at length is they have story. Have you ever heard the term tulpa? T-U-L-P-A. Okay, so a tulpa is, uh, it's based on sort of, uh, okay, it's it's based on Tibetan Buddhist, but not, but older than Buddhism, like old ancient, ancient, mm-hmm. ancient Tibetan philosophies and theosophy, theosophy that there, a tulpa is a thought form, and you can create a thought form. You, you create it by visualizing it mm. by, and it's, it's the old way that, that people would call a spirit to be their servant. You know, when mm-hmm. we talk about sort of, um, magic workers or mystics, you know, from thousands, you know, several thousand years ago or when it started. Um, and they kind of talk about this and it, there's a lot of written, a lot written about it, that when a concept comes into being, mm-hmm. whether it is, fictional or it's or it's actually based in some history that the more thought energy that is put towards that idea the more it is realized into the material world oh yeah so you can create a tulpa but you can like we were talking about with the out the wonderful alistair crowley story is you gotta take it apart after you've played Mm -hmm. with it for a while because if you don't it's no longer yours you become its Mm -hmm. so they say in the big like the idea of you know, different deities and divinities and different religions is like, yeah, because hundreds of thousands of people were putting their energy to this thought form that then becomes its own thing and takes its own, has its own power. So in relationship to something like this, like how many people have now, like every, if you watch that um, the haunted boy documentary, Mm. everybody in Baltimore is up on that story. Right. Like they're all, they're all know like, this is what happened and we all know this. Mm -hmm. So they themselves, that energy substantiates the reality of this. I'm just saying, so I don't know. I don't know what actually happened. Everything in there is, can, can a lot of, well, let's say the majority of everything that you have have given us could be explained from a rational standpoint, Mm -hmm. except for the bed shaking that is witnessed by an adult if we can trust his story, sure. right? right? The guy that gets into bed with Robbie and the bed is still shaking. Yeah. Yeah. The, other, the other stuff, look, you, you can make, and they have documented this. You can make your skin break out in letters. If you concentrate, but like there are people wow. around the world that can manifest that wow. without scratches. I mean, that, like that's a phenomenon. It's very rare, but it does wow. happen. So, yeah, I don't know. That's the thing that fascinates me about this is that we we co-create these experiences. And I I, believe. we've talked about that so many. I think in my like need to like rationalize things yeah. before I can say it's like a ghost or a spirit or a demon, I always take a pit stop at like. But maybe everyone. I didn't realize there was even like a term for it. But like, if everyone is coming to like a designated 
haunted spot or something. And they're all bringing that energy. We talk mm-hmm. about this with mm-hmm. the, uh, the mansion and with planners and all of that. If everyone's coming hoping and like wanting and believing that they're going to experience eventually that energy being poured in will, like you said, manifest in that. And that always gives me so much comfort. I'm like, well, we did this. Like we did it right. to ourselves. <laughs> and then it's, it's no not scary. Yeah. It's like a little like safety measure that I always kind of like, I think almost every episode at the end when we say like, well, what do you think happened? Mm-hmm. I almost always err on the side of like, we probably generated this. And then mm-hmm. it like you said, took on a life of its own. Yeah. I don't know why that gives me such comfort, but it does. Hey. I know, right? Whatever makes you sleep. And I also just want people to get help. You know, like mm-hmm. when the yeah. idea of, and we had mentioned this during our coffee break, the idea that there are, you know, there are organizations out there, I think it's, it's at Bob Layton Ministries mm-hmm. or something, and he is an exorcist for hire. And he's, mm-hmm. you know, taking money from people to exercise the demon of of gambling and the demon mm-hmm. of addiction and like, and those are serious yeah. cha- life challenges, but like, how did that become this? Right. You know, how did, how did something that, you know, if you talk to a Jesuit priest about the concept of exorcism, they're going to say, no, we, this, no, this is really serious stuff. Mm-hmm. You don't mess with it. And then you've got like sort of television evangelicals out mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. you know, making it into this dog and pony show. Yeah. That seems yeah. like like really insulting yeah. to me. I don't. That's just my take. Oh, yeah. You, you well, touched you have, on it. Like they have yeah. to get permission. Yes. They can't just do an exorcism. Like right. you have to ask. Oh, it run. goes through like so many levels. Yeah. yeah. But like that, like, like like what you said. Like there's all these other people that come in and they turn it into a dog and pony show. Mm. Look at Hollywood. They turn it into a dog and pony show as well. Like they, sure. there's a total of like 364 demonic exorcism inspired based movies you know mm-hmm. based on business. this stuff yeah, yeah it is still a good business and i feel like i mean i feel like maybe this really did happen to him i believe in exorcism i believe that there is like a light and there's a dark there's a good and an evil and sometimes like they just find this loophole to mm-hmm. like get into our world and manifest somehow you well, know? we also have the concept in psychology oh. of, of cathartic you know of, of a cathartic experience of that you know, allowing emotions to come to the service and, 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 you know, to address trauma in an experience that in in itself is traumatic, but it's a traumatic release. It is a catharsis, a release of energy that to me plays into the concept for probably many cultures. I mean, if you look at more, you know, uh, in the same way that mental illness is dealt with Mm -hmm. in some sort of third world countries or, um, generally non-first world countries, mm-hmm. it's like, it does work mm-hmm. because the belief system is that it's going to heal this. Like, yeah. we're going to take this pain yeah. away from you by this ritual and there is relief from it. But when, you know, the ones, the documentaries that I was watching, it's, you know, this one one woman in Italy who's had like 24 exorcisms. Oh, and it's no. like, oh my gosh. I mean, no. I don't know what's going on there, but like, she's in pain and i'm yeah. like whatever this is your guys are doing is not working or are you making it worse mm-hmm. is she mentally ill and you are mm-hmm. i mean we enabling it. you're enabling it like we like i i deal with this on a daily basis when you know when i when we're working with kids that need to be hospitalized and yet the hospital is a more stable environment than mm-hmm. their home is so now mm-hmm. we've just created like so they go to the now they want to go to the hospital all the time oh, yeah. because that's the only safety that they know. Yeah, that's how they know what happens when you feel pain or you feel bad. You go to the doctor. You go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Right. right. 
if say hypothetically you guys were in the 40s you guys were doctors in the 40s um let's go into this mistaking mental health for demonic Mm. possession is it satan or psychosis he was taken to psychiatrists and he was diagnosed with um dissociative identity disorder tourette syndrome schizophrenia they i mean some people even hinted that he could have been sexually abused well yeah i mean there's trauma right there um I mean, what would your what would your hypothesis be on this? Like, what would your claim be on Robbie Mannheim if Robbie Mannheim was sitting in your office at 13 years old? Well, I think first we'd have to take away about 30 percent of the education we have mm-hmm. because we know so much more. I'm talking the royal we of our oh, of from our the 40s from the yeah, 40s. I mean, I they mean, were they were killing like it's they Psychiatry at that time, and I'm talking psychiatry as opposed to um, psychology, which wow. is you know if they're coming from a medical perspective, a right. mental a medical me- mental health perspective, then they're going to try and medicate it. Mm-hmm. The medications back then were brutal. They were there was barely anything. I think there was Thorazine, you know, that just yeah. turned you into oh a God. zombie. I mean, so today it's just it's hard to imagine. I mean, and that's also. Tourette's, schizophrenia, those are three completely different areas of diagnosis. They're not even... Absolutely. Well, and if you take this kid to an expert, whether it's a religious expert Mm. or a medical expert or a psychiatric expert, that expert is going to be looking at it through their lens, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. So the psychiatrist isn't necessarily going to say, and I know this is depicted in the movie kind of as their last-ditch effort, Oh, have you consulted with a religious expert yet? Yeah. You know? So they're going to try and, again, like make it As they're fit. smoking. As they're, That's one of the most hilarious things in the movie. Smoking. Like oh. the doctor's chain smoking in the hospital. It's just scenes of people asking each other for cigarettes. <laughs> I know. Exorcist. <laughs> the exorcist. Yeah. Sponsored by mom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they were, because back then people oh, were smoking yeah. in offices yeah. and yeah. bathrooms and airplanes. So. Yeah. so you're trying to find something that fits that is through your lens of whatever mm. your expertise is in. Um, and this, the presentation that's being described, I don't know. I mean, I, I, in working with offenders, I would look at malingering and is this child making this up to mm. get attention for some reason? Maybe it does come back to trauma. Um, but yeah, I think I would have to kind of rule that out first mm-hmm. that he is doing this for some reason. And maybe it's not even a, a psychiatric issue. Know. You know, one of the... That's where I would go to first. Yeah. You, are you guys familiar with the McMartin preschool hearings? It's a it's fascinating okay. case for me. And it, even today, there's a lot of law enforcement is split over it. Like all the law enforcement in the beach community where this happened, oh they are convinced that the, the family that owned this daycare oh um, were brutalizing children. Oh it didn't happen. No, 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 you guys, happen. it, it yeah. did not happen. Oh, okay. It's, it was all, I mean, it's, that's a whole episode in itself. And right. even about nine years ago, the lead kid that his mother started the whole investigation um, and he was their main witness. He came forward in a New York Times Magazine article and said, I lied. Mm-hmm. I lied. Okay. None of this stuff happened. That There were no satanic rituals. I saw it on a TV movie of the week on ABC. And you can go back and corroborate at that time when he was like four years old. Oh, or my God. Four or five years old that there was this TV movie on at that time. But 
Wow. The other kids think they were traumatized because they were they were interviewed so badly. Right. And the idea that, you know, people, if like Shadow was saying, it's about the lens that you're looking through mm-hmm. in that area of expertise. And the, they were lucky. A lot of li- a lot of lives were traumatized about this. But, mm-hmm. you know, he did it for attention. He, he comes forward and he says, uh, you know, my parents were fighting all the time. There was a divorce. And. I got attention. Like this right. was a way to get it. Wow. So he just kept creating a story and more and more a story. And I think what's um, happened. So like, I think that's such a historical precedent for that. Like you look at the Salem witch trials mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. these very young women who had no voice in normal society suddenly are being listened to right. by like the authorities from like big cities. Like it's a complete reversal yes. of power. Something totally outlandish. hundred yeah. percent. And now you have control right. over the adults that are causing quote your trauma or your mm-hmm. ability to have control. Right. The, the most, are you continue the, that? The most disempowered part of that society finds a way yeah. to take control. And so like, I think that part makes a lot of sense. Where it's right. like, well, if he did have something that he felt out of control about, and, like, this kid in the daycare case, like, I just kept lying because I was continuing to get power, attention, whatever it ends up being. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, what, it's hard to say. I mean, I if, wonder what the break was then. If, like, we go with that premise of the night, right. then why at this time? Mm-hmm. It always weirds me out, like, that it was both at 11. That's super weird. I it, yeah. That. It was. There's. A, I mean, I mean, to, Ugh, to come to the conclusion that yeah. normal psychological explanations can be delivered, but they cannot account for the clean events that happened, mm, right. dispatches, um, the, I mean, the horrific urination, vomiting, and the weird smells. Puberty, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say, Bryce and I are just going to chalk it up to Yeah, so. but here's the thing, like, he cannot remember anything. That's so You know, creepy. like, with the, with the maybe, 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 because he, he lied, he doesn't want to, he's like, uh, he's like, leave me alone, I can't remember. I'm or, or like you or, or, or <laughs> right. trauma, like you were saying, sexual trauma, yeah. if there is sexual, yeah. and then have, you know, have gone into a dissociative fugue, you know, which is a, you know, we'll be talking about in one of our upcoming episodes when we discuss the center, but the oh, idea God, he, so he couldn't, he could actually have been abused horribly and gone into a dissociative state to protect his, mm-hmm. his underlying ego and, you know, been acting out in so many ways against that kind of trauma. We'll, we'll, we will never know. Yeah. But yeah, yeah chairs are flying across the room. And as it is written, was really happening. I just be like, here's my license. I'm not practicing. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. I don't know. Well, okay. But what's, do, what's the other like, really famous possession poltergeist one? It's the kid. In, is, no, no, no. This is the one in Germany. Oh. The girl in Germany. Oh, because um, this one was highly investigated, and like I mean, scary oh, shit was it. happening. I mean, it was either Germany or England. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they okay. just lump Europe together. But the Enfield Pol- Poltergeist. Yes, that one. Yes. Yes. Do you, are you familiar oh, with that yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. Very familiar. Okay, that so was they the broke Conjuring, I think, or uh, yes, because right. they broke all yeah. that stuff down. I mean, there were stuff dishes flying, and then oh Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Tumblers falling right down here. Oh, no. <laughs> Are you okay, right? So. Uh, it's demonic. It's demonic. I just, like, grab my coffee. No. Like, if you could see, like, <laughs> no. how no. loud everything got in the visual yeah, representation no. of our recording yeah, program. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, photograph evidence, the recordings, everything. Ed and Lorraine Lor- uh, Warren were involved. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. additional foot, like, in the, the, there was a documentary that was really fantastic 
because they started hiding cameras across the street to look in her window, the yes. young woman, and she's throwing stuff. Like the minute, because what she would, she would set something to fall off, to fall off a shelf. And as soon as it fell off and the adults flinched and didn't look, then she would throw more and then fall down and throw more. And they would show her jumping off her bed and kind of like freezing in midair, not freezing, but like holding this weird contorted Mm -hmm. shape. And then people interpreted that as she was flying around the room. And I mean, it's. So I, I think it's once again it's it's interpretation and making sure that we're really looking yeah. at it with yeah. a, a hard hard eye. Yeah, yeah. Like get a Tinder. Like if you need attention this bad, get a Tinder. <laughs> like this is ridiculous. Like I'm gonna break my silverware, oh. and they're gonna have to pay attention. There and then you wasn't go those ways to do that. That's true. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Man, Tinder really has saved us from so much technology. Possession. Yeah. Goes <laughs> Well, let's go into this. Uh, So, uh, like I mentioned before, a book was written in 1971, Mm. and then in 73 or 74, The Exorcist comes out. That old so-and-so. That old movie. And you have info on that. Yes. It's a movie called The Exorcist. Goodbye, everyone. (laughs) We're done. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I'm just going to talk a little bit because the I think, like we've talked about, people, whether it was the studio trying to sell more tickets to their movie or whether it was true mm-hmm. or whether it was people like being afraid of the original story and then manifesting it. The theory and like the myth was that the set was haunted and cursed. Right. And then that sort of generates like all of this extra fear around this like already terrifying movie. Group hysteria. <laughs> yes. So, Best way to um, basically I'm just going to go through. I have a list here of like, alleged incidences that happened on set and then in like the post-production of shooting. Okay. Um, so as you said, it's based on the book. Uh, sorry, this is like a listicle. So I'm gonna have to like scroll and read it. And I cannot do two things at once. Um, (laughs) the director, who was the director? William, we were like debating Friedkin. 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 That old crazy person. So basically he discovered this story. Uh, it had already been published and he read it and won the rights to produce a film. And he essentially was like, a lesser sane version of like an Alfred Hitchcock where like he really was like about the method and like getting genuine responses from people. Oh my God. Yeah. Which as you know, I hate. I I think the method is the (laughs) worst. I love hearing you guys bring up the method. The method. Tell me how you really feel, right? Yeah. Really not about it. Especially when it's like a director (laughs) imposing it on people. Oh, right. Yeah. Instead of it being actual choice of someone. So especially because the little girl is She's so young. 12, it's like psychological trauma. Yeah. Poor Linda Blair. Like she really did it. She grew up to have a lot of problems too. Yeah. yeah. So he basically, a lot of the incidences were as a result, in my opinion, of his like aggressive directing style mm-hmm. where he was pushing people to get like a quote, more genuine reaction. So there's a lot of things uh, for the priest at the end, the very like famous monologue, he like slapped him allegedly. I don't want to get sued. Um, <laughs> and like then said action. And so the the priest you see him, he's like really Seeing, shook in yeah. and he's like crying a little bit. It's because he just got like hit. Um, and he did that to like several of the actors where he would like yell at them or attack them in some way and just then start rolling so the camera, which is just so That's asinine. Awesome. 
Um, Trust your actors and their yeah, I mean, or hire better like, actors. Yeah. Like if it's not working, mm-hmm. he had problems with working with them. Right. Like Gene Hackman, like yeah. during the French Connection, like was they were constantly fighting. Yeah. Oh really? Oh yeah. Poor Gene. And he put Gene through a very like rigorous like mm-hmm. car chase scene. It was a famous car chase mm-hmm. scene oh, that yeah. had no safety net or anything or yeah it was like here's a walkie-talkie i'm gonna walk you through this Mm -hmm. um we have no safety barriers wow go go Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah so there you go (laughs) um so as they start shooting he's this very toxic set and uh they actually have to delay shooting because the entire house set catches on fire oh right so it delays shooting for six weeks and allegedly the room that was the main set like mm-hmm. her room mm-hmm. was the only part that didn't burn which like whether okay. that's true or not it's because it was so cold in there it was because no. i think <laughs> yeah. it was, so it was cold. really cold so that was, was one of the things is that they had three air conditioning units in that room to keep it so cold and so it was like freezing the condensation in the room i think that's why it wouldn't have burnt but like it, of course, they like pushed that. Yeah, right. like, the room where we shot didn't burn. Like it's protected by the devil. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Um, so then, one of there were two onset injuries um, in the scene with the bed itself. So mm-hmm. Ellen Burstyn, when she gets thrown, sorry, spoiler alert, when she gets thrown to the ground in forty years, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Oh, no, you never know. Um, <laughs> she like screams out and it's a genuine scream because like you had mentioned when we were taking our break, he had just told the rigging crew, just rip her off the bed because he wanted it to look so realistic. So it was like more aggressive than they had practiced. And she fractured her, like either her tailbone or like her lower like spine. I think she like ruptured some discs, ruptured a couple of discs and had a a spinal fracture. And it like still affects her. Like it's a lifelong injury. And there's like a close up of her face. Like, and he knew it was going to happen essentially because that's the take they use. Mm -hmm. That was the money shot. And so it's just like, okay, well you're abusing your actors. And then also, in that same scene, the rigging on the bed really hurt her back as well mm-hmm. because, like, she's like thrashing on the bed and she's oh, like, rigged. yeah, Linda Blair, she's like rigged on the bed as well. Right. So they're both getting injured in this like scene because he wants it to quote look real whatever he also like told them to blair like what masturbation CGI. was for like that scene with the cross like, that's who you want explaining it to your child yeah, like, yeah. Really yeah. stop traumatizing like linda blair it's really not okay it's right here have it after auditioning a thousand girls for the exorcist freaking freaking picked normal happy linda blair because she understood the concept of masturbating have you ever done it freaking asked the 12 year old sitting with her mom yeah. sure she shot back haven't you Oh, she's oh. sassy. Okay. I like it. Okay. Sure. So she's not- supposed to be an absolutely lovely woman, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Just lovely, lovely How about woman. asking appropriately, do you understand what this is? Or mm-hmm. having the mom ask her, not, yeah. have you done it? Yeah. What does that have to do with understanding? Well, look, I mean, this, this, I know. this was also a time when there was, like you were saying, the, I, the, 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 the push in movies mm-hmm. in the seventies was gritty realism. Yeah. So, I mean, for better or worse, he he created a masterpiece. It's still it's still holds up today. It really oh, yeah. He's a horrible person. I mean, because he's done this, you know, and not a nice guy. But 
he also did something that nobody had done before, made a, made a horror movie that was atmospheric without using music or melodrama. Yeah. Right. And that, I mean, that was what was shaking people up. Mm-hmm. People were running out of the theater. So that they were so the thing yeah. is that, like, all of the before release is, like, alleged, basically, because, like, it's, you know, there were... Men- Crews are so big, like, people die, but you mm-hmm. can kind of spin anything. Yeah. I think my opinion is that a little bit of studio magic was happening, being like, ooh, this cursed movie that, like, you can see, yeah. like, it, like, kill people to get us at, to get it out. Yeah. I think it's a good marketing strategy. Um, and then two of the actors actually died as well the first week of post-production. So it's just, like, all of this, oh, like, really? chaos before it's even released, right. which, like, it's probably a little bit of movie magic. But once it's released... People in the theaters are completely unprepared for like what they're seeing Mm -hmm. and they're passing out and they're injuring themselves and they're throwing up. And so it sort of creates this fear and this panic that people are getting possessed in the theaters just by seeing it and countries start banning the film and like small towns won't show it. People are then getting bused to other towns where they can see it. it becomes like this, like we've been talking about this cultural juggernaut where it's now taken on a life of its own and people are like sneaking out to see it. Mm -hmm. They're wanting to get affected in this way. And for anyone who hasn't seen the film, what are you doing? But (laughs) there's all these like cut scenes that are intended to be like incredibly jarring. Yeah. And like to disorient the audience as they're moving through the narrative. And that is like causing people to, you know, whether it's epilepsy or blacking out or whatever it was triggering in these audiences, now you're in a closed space right. and there's like very visceral reactions. And again, it goes back to like, now we're all experiencing this together and like they're throwing up, they're passing out. I now I'm also like engaging in this way. Mm-hmm. I remember, God, I, I, I can't remember how old I was when the movie came out. I did not see it in the theaters cause I was, and I'm shouldn't have, I was too young. But I do remember the, because I would go to sleep every night with a transistor radio, mm. and I remember the radio ad for it was oh, Mercedes no. McCambridge voice going, are you there? <gasps> oh, ding, no. ding, 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 ding. And then tubular bells yeah. would start playing, and I was like, this is scaring the shit out yeah. of me. Yeah. My mom the saw it in the theater, and she said that, I forget what theater it was, you know, maybe Pasadena-ish or L.A., but that they had like a window at some point, like on the theater somewhere with the blowing curtain. Oh, so it was wow. like super. So you walk up and you see this and you're like, just Ew. at the theater. How cool is that? Yeah. They went so mm-hmm. far as to have that sort of marketing going on. Like you're the exorcist walking yeah. up to the front of the house. Well, it's so crazy because I think if you look historically, this is sort of the kickoff of the like satanic panic of the like late seventies, eighties, nineties. Billy Graham came out and he was very strongly against this yeah. movie saying that like the film itself, like the film that it was shot on was cursed and that any like film house that like let the film into the theater would be like possessed by the devil. And, you know, obviously the demon's name is never said in the film, but like, and they're like, it's the devil. Like, and you know, in the script, it's a, different name Pazuzu they like latched on like they're trying to get the devil into and it like really is the start of like that sort of crusade by like evangelical Christians no judgment of just like getting the devil out of Mm -hmm. your home Mm -hmm. 
because like you said, you could see it on TV, you can see it. Right. It's like literally in your living room, and it sort of creates this right. cultural and, fear. And now it's like so, but it was also the zeitgeist. It was so mm. such a cultural landmark. And now on on demand, you can watch. Oh, you could watch a possession movie every day of the week. You know, yeah, there's, there's so many that came out you know, like right and, after this one. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the increase of exorcisms, mm-hmm. like skyrocketed after right. this movie. Right. right, I know there was just, really just like a ton of exorcisms yeah. being performed. Well, which is really sad because is it, does that indicate then? Oh, now we found another way to judge different people, people yeah. who are eccentric yeah, or crazy. odd, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or mentally ill. Yeah, you know, that like now we can. We can use this stigma against them and, or, you know, use someone's sexuality and demonize right. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, that's sad. Wow. It's such a good film, though. It's it so great. great. It really it does. Is. That's a it perfect does. phrase. Now, with all the things that occurred on set, there was even things like they there were reports, too, of crew, what they were calling ob- objects move mm-hmm. around on their own. Uh, most notably, a telephone used to communicate on set that rose from the receiver and <laughs> fell multiple times. Mm-hmm. I think they even tried to get like a reverend to come in and do a real life exorcism yeah, on set. I read that as well, with- right? And he like kind of the director was like, kind of don't do a full exorcism because it's Can like you do a mini one? So he did like, like a little bit. He did like a pep talk basically because yeah. like I think even the director knew like maybe this is too much. Like maybe an exorcism on the exorcist is like too much. Kind of like trying to reel it in. It's like, we just make people like, that Yeah, out. right? Well, do you think, I guess from everyone's opinion, like, mm-hmm. do you think that the set was haunted or cursed? No. No? Hard, I mean, I've, I've worked no in the industry. I, I worked in the, I've mm-hmm. worked in the industry. My husband, you know, worked on uh, The Grinch That Stole Christmas. People got injured on that movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, people get definitely haunted. I think <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, even on terrifying, the Harry Potter movies, there was a stunt double or an actor mm-hmm. that died well, you know, sure. during the sun yeah sure. and weren't there like family members of crew that were yeah. passed away but i mean give any given population that's yeah. gonna happen over yeah. months, right? people are gonna die on the yeah on i don't the think set the set itself was cursed by anything other than like the director's ego i think he created <laughs> yes. such negative toxic energy Probably. yeah that it just kind of leaked throughout right. the set and that can be overpowering like yeah yeah. But no, do I think there was something like possessing the set? I doubt it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like it to me. I don't know. No, I don't think so either. I I mean, I worked in the industry too. It's mm-hmm. like... <laughs> stuff happens. Stuff does happen. Um, and now, that being said, I've been on sound stages before that I know are haunted. Like you walk yeah. in and you're like, oh, there's, there's something some going on here. Yeah. yeah. But I think because of like the stunts, the accidents, mm. it was developing a lot of anxiety and tension. The director was not doing anything to ease, you know, anyone's mind or he wasn't even positive. I mean, it was just like, I think it was just a bad atmosphere mm-hmm. and it just like kind of all went downhill to make this amazing movie. But no, I don't think it was haunted. Yeah. Okay. I think that a lot of people were hellishly unlucky on the set. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good consensus. Yes. Okay. So to, bring in the true crime aspect. Um, I'm going to talk about someone affiliated with the film and then his connection to a series of killings in New York around the time of the exorcist. So um, I'm going to kind of go on a timeline here. So um, January. So the exorcist was released December of 73. Um, So let's go back to January 73. 
Um, so January 4th, 1973, a man named Rob- Ronald Cabo, he's 29 years old, and he was murdered in his West Village apartment. Um, he was a known leather enthusiast in the gay community at the yeah. time. Um, <laughs> oh, wait, there's a lot of it. <laughs> um, and he had been stabbed to death on his sofa, mm. and then his apartment was set on fire. Oh, my God. Probably to destroy the evidence, evidence yeah. right? Which, as we've talked about, arsonists. Was any of his leather... <laughs> Damn it! Damn it. <laughs> yes. But All we will learn. Leather holds up. <laughs> <laughs> so four days later, friends Ronald McNiven, he was forty, and John Beardsley, age fifty-three, they were found stabbed to death in their apartments. So they were also well known to the S and M scene around town. They lived in separate units in the building, but they were found together in McNiven's living room. And again, a fire had been set. Hmm. So we're seeing like a very obvious pattern mm-hmm. i think here burn um, then a few burn. days later so we're just at january 17th uh robert barrero he's a 23 year old gay libertarian front member um he was found floating in the hudson river oh still wearing his black leather jacket and he had been missing for five weeks so he was actually pretty decomposed oh. when they found him but still leather jacket on um nine days after that uh, two other gay men and their pet poodle. No, when dogs get involved. When dogs know. get involved. I know. Um, they also had connections. What's to his last community. name again? I'm sorry. What I'm was it? B- Balta? What was this? The killer. Oh, I haven't talked about it oh, yet. Okay. Hang on. Oh, okay. Sorry. Well, I love <laughs> that it's something I didn't know about. I'm so excited. Hilarious. <laughs> I gotta look at that. Just sit back and listen while I tell you a story. Um, so these two men and their pet poodle were found um, all killed in their apartment. And then January 28th. So this is all literally within the same month. Yeah. Oh all God. of these things I'm telling you. Was what? the poodle in leather? I was going to ask. Well? I was going to ask. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. I don't know. But I can find out. I, I'm going to say yes. I think we can all agree yeah, on that. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Sorry. All right. Let's little picture little that for a moment. with the little hat. I thought harness. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yes. Leather harness. Yeah. Okay. Chaps. Everything. Okay. So January 28th, uh, Brooklyn Heights building superintendent checks on his tenant whose radio has been blasting for hours. Oh. Uh, when he enters his apartment, he finds Nelson Robert had been stabbed to death. Mm. His corpse was sprawled on the floor beneath a gray blanket. Oh my God. He was a 32-year-old school teacher, um, leather bar regular, and his roommate was found in another room with his neck broken. <gasps> oh, and their black toy poodle had been drowned in the bathroom sink. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. I really yeah. hate this guy I know. so much. <laughs> so, obviously, at this point, the, the S&M community and leather community um, in that area of New York were very frightened, mm-hmm. very worried. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we're going to kind of fast forward. So, there's that grouping of murders in January. Then The Exorcist is released in December of that year. Um, and then about... Four years or so after the release of, I can hear that feedback. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> the release of the film <laughs> between 1977 and 1978, again, the New York LGBT community was being targeted and terrorized as the dismembered bodies of gay men started floating up in the Hudson River. Oh, my <sighs> God. So the killings became known as the trash bag murders. There's also a Yikes. terribly, like, homophobic name for the murders also that I'm not no. going to mention. 
Um, but there were six victims. All had been mutilated, chopped up, and put into trash bags and then oh. thrown into the Hudson oh. River. Oh, my God. Um, the conditions of the bodies made identification virtually impossible just because of decomposition. They were able to identify possibly some tattoos and then some of the uh, clothing they were able to trace back to some Greenwich Village shops that catered specifically to the gay community. Um, So they assumed that, again, this was sort of kind of the same thing going on a few years later. Um, So around this time, 1977, of course, the community was further panic-stricken due to the brutal death of drag queen Tommy Lee. So Mm -hmm. she had been strangled in her apartment and it's at this point that uh, a columnist for the Village Voice, Arthur Bell, not to be confused with, with Art Bell, Bell, but right. we talked about earlier, <laughs> full circle, um, he starts writing extensively on the subject and these murders that are going on, oh. kind of bringing it to light because, mm-hmm. you know, this the, the community was feeling very marginalized and that the law enforcement wasn't necessarily giving it a whole lot of attention and effort. So he starts writing... And then on September 14th, a few months after his initial articles come out, um, Addison Verrill, he's a 36-year-old, he's a well-known film critic for the Variety magazine, he's found murdered in his apartment. Oh, man. So he was bludgeoned to death with a skillet and then stabbed as well. Um, So, again, Arthur Bell is covering these murders in the Village Voice, and then in October, he gets a phone call from someone claiming to be the killer. They call him up, and in a 20-minute conversation, basically the caller says he met and partied with Addison at several several leather bars over the course of an evening. Then they go back to Addison's West Village studio at about 5 in the morning. Mm-hmm. The caller claims that over the course of the evening, they had consumed cocaine, poppers, marijuana, scotch. And then after consensual sex... And a sensible dinner. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or breakfast, because it's like 6 o'clock. Um, the killer says, quote, something hit me. Addison hadn't been reciprocal. It wasn't the sex act itself that wasn't reciprocal. It was the soul act, too. I wanted a lasting thing, something that would go beyond sex, into a friendship, a lover, marriage, end quote. <laughs> so These needy boys. Right? <laughs> I mean, come well, on. Jeffrey Dahmer, right? There you go. Exactly he, d- he did not want them to leave, right? What it sounded he was like. trying to create a sex zombie. Con- yeah. <laughs> yes, literally. Mm. Or, yes, the Hashtag them. sex zombie. Yeah, Ooh. there you go. Okay. Um, so when Bell gives this info to police, he had details from the caller that hadn't been released to the public, like some specific items that were taken from the home. Um, so they felt that it was pretty legit. And then Bell, got, he's like the conduit to all this. Um, he gets contacted by a man named Richard Ryan, who said he knew who Addison's killer was. And he oh. said that he had been in rehab with a guy um, named oh. Paul Bateson, and that Paul was a 33-year-old alcoholic who had once worked as an x-ray technician at various New York hospitals. Um, Ryan called that Bateson had basically called him and confessed to Addison's murder, like, the day after the slaying. Um, and that he had stated to Ryan that I like to kill, um, and that he also started claiming responsibility for the trash bag murders. Wow. So this info was quickly given to police. They go scoop up uh, Paul Bateson, and Bateson totally cops to the Addison murder. 
Um, he even leads them to, here's his passport, here's his credit card, here's right. the stuff I took. So it was solid. So who's Paul Bateson, do you ask, Scott? <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> oh, I want to know. <laughs> Funny you should mention. I know. So Paul Bateson was working as an x-ray technician at NYU Medical Center, where director William Freakin happened to shoot the famous scene of Reagan undergoing um, her cardioid angiography procedure. Um, and so he actually used a neuropsych surgeon and his team for the scenes. So he has lines and everything in the movie, right? He's the one that's telling her scoop down. This. Yes. Oh my he, gosh. He I has, have to go watch it again tonight. He has I a know. legit IMDb page, you guys. Damn. Oh my God. <laughs> Why has he got to be more famous than us? Right? No, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so he, he has several lines in, in that scene wow. um, and working with Linda Blair. So, like I said, he's eventually arrested for Verrill's murder, and he gets convicted in March of 1979. Um, according to his own testimony, sure enough, he had picked up Verrill at a gay bar in Greenwich Village, and they went back to his apartment where the two had sex. And then he crushed his skull with the skillet and proceeded <gasps> to stab him numerous Jeez. times. So while he was awaiting trial, though, at Rikers Island, um, he began to brag to other people in the jail about the other murders. Well, saying they always that, do that. I know. Yeah saying that he picked up gay men and murdered them, quote, just for fun, and that he had chopped up their bodies and put the pieces in plastic trash bags. Now, uh, this was in the news, so who knows? I mean, he could be kind of wanting to glorify and get attention right. and just is regurgitating what he heard. So um, the fact that those bodies were so um, decomposed, they were actually never identified, oh. which... It's sad because you don't even have the two and two of like missing persons being put together with well, these you, people. You think about it though, that time too, that we take for granted that gays and lesbians were incredibly marginalized mm-hmm. communities. And if you lived, you know, if you, you lived in what we, what we term gay ghettos, it's like, right. and a lot of those people probably didn't have contact with their family members, you know, so nobody is there actually to report that they went missing. That's really sad. It is. It's very, very sad. Yeah. Um, So this is the strange part in which I was doing my research um, and kind of following up a couple loose ends last night. So in 1970, so we're talking three years before Mm -hmm. the exorcist and before that first batch of murders, um, there's a book published called Cruising by Gerald Walker, who was a New York Times reporter, right? So we know this gets made into a movie, and I'll touch on that in a second. Um, But the novel is about an undercover cop looking for a homosexual serial killer in the world of sadomasochism, um, also leather and gay bars, in Greenwich Village. So three years before this happens, this book gets published. Which I thought it was inspired yeah. by these. Oh, I did too. Not. Oh, wow. I thought that's where you were going. I and I was that like, checking the dates and checking the dates. Wow. I'm not sure. What? So, yes. So then several years later, Exorcist director William Friedkin is directing the film version of Cruising. With Al Pacino. Yeah. With Al Pacino. It came out in 1980. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so he then hears that Bateson, who was in his film possibly did the, some of these murders. So he goes and visits him in prison. Uh, what? Yeah. The method oh, yes. is the dumbest thing. <laughs> 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 so he goes and visits him in prison 
interviews him about it, and he is an uncredited consultant on the film. That's on his IMDb page. Stop also, making uh-huh. criminals uh-huh. famous. Right. He's already famous already. I know. Already. Just so. you're, but you're absolutely right. Like the the way you fan an e- a, a, a toxic ego, yes. evil ego like that. That's just. But that says a lot about Friedkin too. Like that guy. That's narcissism. This is all. Yeah. Narcissism on his like, part. Oh, the serial killer was in my movie. Yes, right. I'm going to make yes. another movie, and I'm going to yeah, yeah. How can I use that? So, I mean, though the police took <clears throat> Bates' confession about the trash bag murders at face value, there wasn't enough physical evidence to link him to those. So he was only eventually charged with the murder of Addison Verrill. He was <clears throat> sentenced to 20 years to life in jail. He was released in 2004, um, and now said to live somewhere in upstate New York. Great. <laughs> Um, and it's confirmed that he'll be one of the serial killers featured in season two of Mindhunter. Oh, cool. So, oh my God, um, I'm so excited he, for season two. When does that come out? Too? Not fast enough. I Literally not. Rack. Okay. But, <laughs> so they're going to, from what I hear, what they're going to focus on is that there were two active serial killers at the same time in New York. And the other one, of course, is Son of Sam. Wow. So, wow. I'm so excited for that. I'm happy Damn. for this time. But yes. What a weird is, connection. I mean, right? talk about it. It's a very... Odd sense set of yeah. coinkydinks there. Completely, completely. I mean, just yeah, that is insane. Very insane. But I need to know. Like, was this a someone who read this book, and then I'm going to go copycat? I that's that yeah. first thing. Yeah, because I also thought it was based on that. But as soon as he says the opposite, must be true. He must have taken oh. the. Mm-hmm. And how twisted? How I mean, that's awful. And so I don't even know if Bateson is responsible for all of these, mm-hmm. right? But clearly, someone was um and that just that month of just all of those men and their poodles being killed not the poodles the dogs and the dogs are not about this life i know maybe the dogs were in leather like they probably (laughs) with their own little community i get the dog part so sad the dog just wanted to live his life (laughs) (laughs) yeah so there's your true true crime love it wow i did not realize because i've heard of that story obviously yeah. but I have forgotten that it was connected to the I didn't know that exorcism. it was connected to the exorcism oh, either. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember here I had forgotten. I remember yeah. hearing about it, but even then I, I thought it was, he was like an extra. I didn't realize he That what, you know like, when I went back and watched it I was like wow he killer. has lines. He's in it. He's yeah. in it in it. Because if if you're thinking about when they're filming, if he was responsible for that first batch, he's killing while this Ugh. movie is being filmed. Yeah. Yeah. Still getting his so residual checks. Oh, oh my yeah. god! I mean, now that he lives in upstate New York. Oh, oh my gosh! Wow. Oh. Yikes! Yeah. What was his? What I mean, in your opinion, like what? Why was he committing these crimes, especially with specific with a specific community? Why leather? You know why? I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to say because I honestly I'm on the fence of whether or not he's responsible mm. for all those. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if, if it's not him, so whoever we're sort of speculating about, is it something that they are viscerally against? And so they're luring these people or going back home with them or, you know, there wasn't any information that I found about breaking into any apartments. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you would think like, okay, who's the guy that went home with all these people? Like, yeah. It's a pretty tight community, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. So, oh, so and so left with this guy, and then so and so left with this guy. I mean, that's yeah. one of the things that they set up in the movie Cruising, which I hated. That yeah, movie. I mean, it was it's very, awful. it's very homophobic. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a terrible, terrible film. 
Um, Al Pacino, you know, chews a lot of scenery, but he, he does a good job. But one of the things that they do is they just promote it as if like, you know, it was sort of the, still the swinging, you know, mm-hmm. the, the free sex, free love. And people were really kind of, ex- you know, experimenting in a lot of different ways, but they just portray the, the gay community as not taking any precautions right, at all. Kind of. But the other side of it that they do interesting as the cop is doing his investigation is that the bartenders were like, Oh yeah, there's some guy that's picking up somebody every night. Now there are a lot of pickups, but they'll, they'll remember certain characters. Yeah, so that's what kind of brings you back to sort yeah. of the Jeffrey Dahmer, mm-hmm. like, right. you know, kind of shy guys sitting in the corner, but then takes someone home or goes home with them and then is doing these awful things for whatever reason. Yeah. No, I don't know. But. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh my Somber. goodness. Leave poodles out of it. Yes. No. no. Protect the poodles. Protect the poodles. <laughs> I know. Aww. Oh my goodness. All right. This has been really great. Yes. Yeah. This has been a very awesome, um, awesome oh my episode and recording. And today is International Podcast yes. Day, the day that we're recording, yes. which is awesome timing on our part, and mm-hmm. we didn't even realize until later. <laughs> when are we? When are we? When are we releasing this? Um, probably end of October ish. Okay. Yeah. Sure yet. Okay. But yeah, um, so we'll do it at the end of October. We're doing a follow up episode. Also, we have a special cool. guest that if you guys want to hang out with us for another one, we'd love to have you. Um, one, a, a very good friend of mine, Al Hobbs, who is, um, a set designer and has worked in the industry for many, many years is obsessed with the exorcist movie. Like he's, he's a super fan. He is a super fan that in fact, he was going to be here today to take notes so he could comment on it, but he, he ended up having a, a conflict, but, um, his take on it is, is, Takes certain specific things that we've touched the top of and goes really deep yeah. wow. that you're going to love. I'm very excited. So we're just going to do like a little mini episode. We call it a mini episode. Yeah. It'll be 90 Three minutes. Hours sure. <laughs> we're, we're at two hours right now. Every mini episode is always so long. Yeah. Yeah. No, ours is like, <laughs> it goes over an hour. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you guys want to talk about Pasadena Playhouse? Just another yeah. time oh yeah so, sure so um pasadena playhouse reached out to us not too long ago they wanted us to do a collaboration so it turns out that your girls from hollywood paranormal will be doing a live show october 30th and 31st following the famous london west end's performance of the woman in black Yay! Uh, yes so we go up and do our first live show on yes. the pasadena playhouse stage from 10 30 to 11 30 we will be discussing the history and the haunted history of the Pasadena Playhouse. I love that. I loved your episode on yeah. haunted uh, thank theaters. You. And there are a lot of famous ghosts. cases. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of famous people that acted on the stage and still continue to oh, act yeah. on the stage. Yeah, you have so cool. Everyone from Gene place. Hackman, um, Angela Bassett, and then we even had Marilyn Monroe and Jane Mansfield. Mm-hmm. And um, who's a uh, OG Superman? Um, Reeves. Reeves. Yeah. yeah, George Reeves. George. He was on. He acted on that stage. Mm-hmm. And there's a rumor that he may be the precocious ghost that plays tricks on the actors in the dressing room. So we will definitely be covering all that on stage yes. live. Oh, how cool! <laughs> That's Love so it. exciting. We're so yes. happy for you. So guys. we'll be doing drawings um, in the month of October. So we'll definitely be um, doing drawings for tickets, Ooh. for a pair of tickets to go see us oh. at the Playhouse. I will be there. And if you haven't seen the show, it's so 
creepy. It it's is very scary. By far the sc- most scared I've ever been. It because is. there's something about really? seeing live. Like, I can disassociate because I remind myself, like, it's on screen, you're in a movie theater, you're at home. I'm still pretty scared. <laughs> and I, like, cross my eyes so I don't have to watch. Um, but there's something about it happening and it's a real person in front of you on stage that oh, I, I find so. I don't wild. think I've seen any. The story creepy. itself is also like, incredible. Yeah. You know what? Is it actually? Don't laugh, but it's actually when it's done right. Is a terrifying play is Sweeney Todd. Yes. Yes. Sweeney Todd is like you, you'll laugh, but it's it's horrifying mm-hmm. and scary. Really and there is also the what was another one? There was a stage version of Dracula that oh, I, yeah. people said it was like in. Wow, I think it's also that live theater experience, like you said. You 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 are so brought into that that live performance. Well, horror theater, I think, is like kind of an untapped market. Oh, yeah. It's such a good medium for it because you can't get away from a person in front right. of you experiencing yeah. it. You're you know the magic of theater is that it's the audience and the director and the actor creating something mm-hmm. together. Yes, and that fear permeates you. Whereas like with a screen, I'm, I definitely am still scared. So I'm not going to say like, I'm so brave, but yeah. there is something a little different about like sure. watching yeah. it happen live. Mm-hmm. So Very exciting. Yeah. We will, we'll obviously we'll get this up. Hopefully we got, I mean, I think our live stream may have, I think it cuts yeah. us off at an hour. Mm, I think so too. Okay. Yeah. It's punishing us. Anyway, right you guys, thanks so much for, uh, for listening in. We're very excited to do our first collaboration yes, with Hollywood. Awesome. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank yeah. You. Of course we knew it was, that's fun. Yeah, that's fun. First connected. So uh, we're yeah. going to sign off. Guys, you, what's your sign off? We just say bye as long as we can. Yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really original. <laughs> well, and for um, everyone listening on our podcast, thank you from Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott on LA. Not so. Confidential. Bye. 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 <laughs>